This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, all right, welcome to another episode of Porch Talk. This is your host, Alan. And tonight is a special episode. We're at Relentless MMA. It's a gym here in Columbus, Mississippi. And I'm sitting here with the owner and trainer here, Jake Reeves. And so uh, we've been excited about doing this episode, and it's finally happening tonight. Jake, just tell us a little bit about yourself, man, to open this thing up. Yeah, man. Glad to be on. Glad for you to have me. I know you reached out to me uh, a little while, not long ago, and, and I've been excited about it ever since, man. So I'm happy to be here, brother. Yeah, and so how that kind of came to be is we have a mutual friend. Leslie and Jake graduated together, and I was over her house having supper one night with with her family and we got on the subject like you know she does her own cleaning now and she's like I clean for Jake and I was like could you reach out to Jake yeah yeah <laughs> I was like I'd like I'd like to meet Jake and possibly have him on the show if he's down and, she, and here we are yeah absolutely I've, I've known uh <laughs> known Leslie from high school and she uh she actually enrolled her son in our kids program Jack. a while back yep and uh he's been doing amazing and so she started cleaning for us and and we kind of you know we're talking and she had said something about it so yeah man i'm excited i'm excited to be here it's gonna be, it's gonna be good all right time. so just for starters growing up and we talked about this a little bit before we got started so you're originally from vernon that's right yeah and so what all did that look like coming up um it was a little culture shock when i first moved here i grew up on a dairy farm on aberdeen road in vernon about a mile from the mississippi state line I was homeschooled, so I didn't see a lot of other kids mm-hmm. very often. I uh, I'd done some, I did some traditional martial arts there in Sullivan. I did some Taekwondo and stuff when I was you know really young for like a year or two. Not a big background there, but it was it was it was a great way to grow up. My dad instilled a great work ethic in us. Like we started working at a young age. Mm-hmm. My dad put me to work when I was about six years old, and you know we did hard labor and and we learned how to work there at a, at a young age. We didn't work on the dairy too as much, but we had our own stuff going on right. and, and my dad's an entrepreneur so he always had you know stuff stuff going and so we he, he instilled a work ethic in us and we didn't want at, growing up we didn't have tv a lot of time growing up we yeah. didn't have you know our house was was hot and you know my room wasn't air conditioned and it was you know not that it wasn't a bad way to grow up at all it was it was it was, it was great the way it was. you know yeah yeah we had a, had a little window unit up in the front of the house and we lived out in the middle of nowhere and i liked it i mean we yeah. rode four wheelers and you know, played in the pasture, and we're in the woods miles deep, and, you know, that was just kind of how we grew up. A lot different than how kids today, I feel like, grow up. It was it was a great way to, it was a great way to grow up. I enjoyed it. Yeah, we were, we're kind of right on the tip of that technology shift yeah. where I think when we hit our preteens, 11, 12, 13, the Nokia brick came out. That's right. Then technology really started to take off. So, yeah. man, I'm the same, man, just from Kennedy and Ethelsville area, it's just a whole lot of growing up in the woods. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, when you lived out there, you know, we didn't have, like, internet. We had a dial-up until we were, I had a dial-up until I was, like, 16 or 17. We were still, you know, rocking that dial-up, and we didn't have, like, a lot of that other stuff. So the internet didn't come out to our house, and we didn't have a lot of the stuff that kids in larger, more populated areas had. So, right. you know, I feel like I grew up 10 years behind everybody else, you know, for yeah. sure. Yeah, our little house, man, we were on the outskirts of Kennedy, and we were one of the last homes, like, out of all my friends to have high-speed internet. Oh, wow. And it was, 
it's exactly what you're talking about. I was like, I feel like I'm just five years, ten years behind you. I'm years. telling you. I'm telling you. For sure. <laughs> I remember the struggle with dial-up. You'd pull up a YouTube video and like come <laughs> back to it when you got home from school. Yeah, and you might, It might be working. Yeah, it Maybe. might be ready. Yeah. You try to look at a picture, it takes it 30 minutes to load one picture. It's, it was insane. It was insane. Growing up in the woods in, in Alabama, you know, in the early 2000s and 90s, it wasn't like, you know, everywhere else. The technology was years behind. <laughs> yeah. And so when you got out here to Columbus and... The going, big city of Columbus. Yeah, the big city of Columbus. <laughs> Go, you went to school to Victory. That's at right. Victory. And just kind of getting more into the... I, your passion now and what you do is yeah. how did all that begin to develop? It's kind of a long story, and I don't know how how detailed you want to, you want to get into it. But I uh, when I moved to, when I moved to Columbus and I started going to school, I actually started at Emmanuel and then went went to Victory for high school, and it was a great transition. First off, because mm-hmm. going to uh, going to Victory, it wasn't like a big school, so coming out of a home school into into Victory was great. I had a time of my life when I was there, you know, played football and and all that stuff, but. I always had a passion for MMA, even before I even started training. I knew that that was sort of something that really interested me. Mm-hmm. And we I, we were talking a little bit about this beforehand. When I was 16, we started fighting in the backyard. And, you know, we'd, we'd get a bunch of cars in the headlights. And we would, we'd get in there and we'd get after it. That's what everybody sort of knew me for in high school was, you know, our little fight club. We'd made T-shirts and DVDs. And, you know, I sold T-shirts. And, and we made a little money off of them. And, yeah. and we had a great time with that. And, and I, was, I was pretty good at it. And, but I just knew it was something that really interested me. I was like, man, if I'm pretty good at this, I want to do MMA. Because yeah. I'd won like 10 fights in a row. And I was like, man, I want to get in there and train with, with fighters. I want to get in the cage, mm-hmm. right? Well, the problem with that is that just because you can be, beat some high school kids up in a backyard doesn't necessarily mean you're ready for a grown man that like actually knows how to fight. Right. And so I had a rude awakening ready for me when I came back and I started training. We were, uh, at the time... There was a, a team called Team Blackout. They were, and this was senior year of high school. I was about 17, 18. And they were training upstairs at the police club next to the jail. It was kind of a hole in the wall, you know, out of the way. Not a lot of room. And uh, I started training, and they were like, hey, you want to be a fighter? And I was like, yeah, man, I want to fight. You know, I want to, I want to fight. That's what I want to do. That's why I'm here. They're like, okay, well, we're going to do what's called a fight test. I was like, okay, well, let's, let's do that. I'm cool. They're gonna say, we're going to see how good you are. Mm-hmm. And what that fight test was... It, Hindsight, it really wasn't that bad, but they were like, well, you're going to go with a fresh fighter every round. So you're going to do a round with this guy, you're going to get a minute break, you're going to do a round with the next guy, you're going to get a minute break, you're going to go around with the next guy. And oh, wow. you, so a fresh guy every round. And I mean, that's just how we train now, but at the time, I was like, wow, that's going to be you know, pretty tough. And um, endurance, stamina. I got my head thumped that night. They showed me that my little high school tail needed to stay home. And they beat the brakes off me. It was a, a world eye-opening experience for me. They beat me up. I had a black eye. My, the whole side of my leg was black from taking leg kicks. I got finished in all three rounds except for the last one. And the only reason that I didn't get finished in the last one was because every time I was sparring Kevin Fitzpatrick, who later became a very good friend of mine, every time he would come toward me, I would run off the mat and like run and like, I'll run away so he couldn't get to me. Mm-hmm. Then they, oh, come back on the mat, come back on the mat. And every time I just run away, run away, run away. And so what that did, though, was it let me know how far I had to go. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had a, an, a, an option there. I was like, okay, well, clearly I'm not as good as I had thought I was. And they, I 
you know, instead of quitting, I'm very glad I didn't do. I was like, man, I just got to train harder. Just got to dig in. Yeah. So I, I just, I became obsessed with training. I became absolutely obsessed with, I did nothing but train. I would get out of school. I worked a job. I'd go to work. I'd get off at five. Mm-hmm. And then from five until it was time to go to bed, I did nothing but train. And I did that for years. That's all I did. I'd travel. I would drive to other schools and train with their guys. I would, you know, drive to the coast and train, sleep in my car in Biloxi and train <laughs> just so that I could get in there with some guys that would push me and make me better. And so that's really kind of what led us to where we are now and me running a gym, which is I became so obsessed. It was all I thought about, all I wanted to do. And so with some of the different styles of martial arts offered here, like Muay Thai and Jiu-Jitsu, right. how did the proficiency, is that just you found the proficiency through these different training camps? Yeah, well, typically in MMA, the, ones you, the, the arts you're going to see the most of are boxing, Muay Thai, wrestling, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in America. You, know, you go to Russia, you're going to see a lot of Sambo. I've done Sambo as well. I don't offer a class on it. But those are the most common. Mm-hmm. And so at first what I was doing was just MMA training. So I, and I've got my little finger quotes up. I forget I'm on a podcast. Nobody yeah. can see my finger quotes. But, and it was just a lot of sparring, a lot of mitt work. I wasn't really doing anything Muay Thai specific. I really wasn't doing any jiu-jitsu in the gi. I was just getting ready for fights. Mm-hmm. You know? Through that, over time, I de- began to develop a love for the individual arts. I began to develop a love for jiu-jitsu on its own and Muay Thai on its own. Mm-hmm. And so over time, I started to separate and, and separate my programs out in the gym and start running classes separately. Because when I first opened my gym, it was mostly just like meatheads, sparring, getting ready for fights. It really wasn't running like a business. And as time went on, I started falling in love with the individual arts, the art of jiu-jitsu and the art of Muay Thai. So, and that was, those were the two that prevailed. I did other things, but the two that I decided that I wanted to offer and make my school about, what I wanted to make my gym about, was Muay Thai and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And Muay Thai was in my opinion, is the most complete striking art in and of itself, in my opinion. Um, okay. Whereas boxing only focuses on the hands. I don't know how much you know about Muay Thai. Yeah, but I unload that for yeah, us. Yeah, Muay Thai focuses on punches, kicks, knees, elbows, and clinch work. So there's a lot more moving parts in Muay Thai, which I love. You know, And I love boxing. I'm a professional boxer. But at the same I just I decided that if I were going to pick one, I wanted to pick Muay Thai. That's, that's yeah. what I wanted to make my school about. So that's what we did. Did you catch Johnny Walker's past fight this past week? I did not, no. He had this cat in a clinch. Yeah. And it was so fast, man, because he come, he pulled the guy down, and the guy kind of went with it. I don't right. know what he was thinking. And immediately right when he pulled his head down, he hit him with a right elbow oh, yeah. to the temple. Yeah, and it's oh. out. Yeah. And so I think Johnny Walker, I think that's his background. Right. His movie tie. Yeah. A lot of you guys in the UFC right now, I mean, the, you, you're hard-pressed to find somebody in the UFC right now that doesn't train Muay Thai, mm-hmm. you know, at least in part. They, they may have a boxing background, they may have wrestled, and that might be their, their thing, but most of the time, they're going to do Muay Thai at least as supplement. Even Leota Machida, who was known for his Machida karate, that was his striking art, he still did Muay Thai to help hone that in and, mm-hmm. and, and, and get him ready for fights. So it's kind of hard to avoid because it, it deals with the elbows and the knees, which other striking arts for the most part, don't have. Mm-hmm. You know, your kickboxing, your traditional martial arts, they don't do the clinch in the knees and the elbows mm-hmm. in their fights the way Muay Thai does and the way that MMA does. So as far as a striking art that's going to transition well in the MMA, it's, you're hard to find, beat Muay Thai. And going from high school fight club to Muay Thai, was it as far as, like, finding the control and learning what muscles, like, in the clinch and 
uh, how to throw those knees and leg kicks. Was that something kind of hard to get into, or was it natural? It was unbelievably hard, <laughs> uh, just honestly, because yeah. it fighting is a skill. Mm-hmm. Okay, a lot of people think you're just going to go in there and you're going to freak out and black out yeah. and you're going to win. See red, and you're not. Okay, let's just be honest. And I know there's probably a lot of people listening. Oh, I would. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> not against a real fighter, you wouldn't. You may be able to do it against Jim Bob, who lives yeah. two doors down yeah. from you, but you're not going to go in there with a professional fighter and just see red and win the fight. It's technical. One of the key things about fighting is calm under pressure, something we talk to our fighters about a lot in here. Calm under pressure. Being able to operate in a technical manner while still under a lot of pressure and have somebody pounding you in the face. That was the big thing for me because when I first started, if I got hit, I was like, it's time to go now. I'd start Mm -hmm. swinging wild. and um, I used to get, if I was fighting or sparring people really skilled, they'd beat my head in. And uh, that's how I got out of that. But it's, it's... is super complicated, especially jiu-jitsu. Muay Thai is too. They're both very complicated martial arts, and it takes years mm-hmm. and years to master. I'm still only a brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I've been training for 10 years. I've been doing BJJ for 10 years. I still don't have my black belt, and that's, that's about average. About 10 years, 10 to 12 years is what, it's, what it takes to get your black belt. There are some anomalies that get them in three or four years, but they're like BJ Penn, but yeah. they're rare. It's, mm-hmm. it's very rare. So it's, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of technique that takes years to master. And so, honestly, I don't even think about my high school fight. I, like, it's still definitely part of what got me started. Yeah. But I don't even really consider it part of the journey, even, because it's just so different. Like, I consider my journey really starting when I stepped into the gym because I really had no idea what the levels were. Mm-hmm. And not just between someone who trains and someone who doesn't, but even once you're in the game, there's levels to it. You know, you fight somebody. I fought people who were, you know, they trained, but they weren't really going anywhere. And I fought Eric Anders, who's in the UFC now, and was a headliner, you know, in his past two shows mm-hmm. on a UFC fight night. And let me tell you, there's a big difference between fighting those guys toward the bottom and fighting somebody like that. Right. It, there's just there's a lot of there's a lot of levels to the game. So when you start going with guys that are UFC champions, it's another breed. It's another it's another type of human that does that. It's not. I mean, I couldn't do it. I couldn't go win a UFC title right now. I've been training my entire adult life. Yeah. You know, I live and breathe fighting. I do it every day. It's what I do for a living. And I can't get in there and hang with those guys. Yeah. You know, they're just a different type of athlete. All right. So we have the gym and. This location. Let's let's talk a little bit about the story on yeah. how how this came to be. So, you want to uh, start at the beginning, or yeah. you want to start here? Let's start. Let's start at the beginning. Okay. Man. Okay. Well, story. I uh, I did not go into the gym business to make a lot of money. All right, and I, it's still not my my goal. That's, that's still not why I do it. But I opened a gym when I was twenty years old. We didn't have anywhere to train. We had been training in the back of a gymnastics gym, and that gymnastics gym closed. And uh, I was actually living in Fulton at the time. I was going to ICC. Okay. And I was training at Tupelo BJJ. Now it's called UFM there in Tupelo. And uh, I was training there full time. And I was just teaching one day a week here, coming home on the weekends. I was just an assistant coach. How I became, came to own the gym was uh, we, we didn't have anywhere to train. So I just owned, I found a 1,200 square foot hole in the wall that was a, uh, a dry cleaners. And it had been a dry cleaner since the like the 50s. Yep. It had been a dry cleaner for over 50 years. It was just in really bad shape. And actually, my dad owned the building it was in. And I, so I went up to my dad, and I was working for him doing construction on the side at the mm-hmm. time. I said, hey, Dad, if you'll let me go in there, rent it for the same price you rented it to the old tenant for, which was really cheap because he'd been there for so long, I'll do all the work fixing it up and getting it cleaned up, and you won't have to put any money into it. Mm-hmm. And my dad, you know, he's, 
he's he's helped me out in a lot of ways. My parents were never one to give me money, like, but they they give me a lot of advice and they've they've helped me out in other ways. And and so this is one of the times what that my were you parents. Studying that, CC business. Yeah, yeah, business. I did one year. wasn't for me. Okay. Uh, I, I decided I dropped out and opened a gym uh, after one year. And you got the business. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I got. I guarantee you, I got way more knowledge in four years of running this gym than I would have got four years at a university or at a college. Right. So anyway, I went in there and there was machine grease and like lint caked on the floor. For they've been there for decades. Mm-hmm. We scraped and mopped and scraped and mopped and just got the doors open. I, I was spending all my own money. I was working construction and I was spending all my own money keeping the doors open, just paying the paying the bills out of my own pocket because I just wanted somewhere to train. Mm-hmm. I wanted somewhere for me and my friends to be able to go and spar and get ready for fights. Mm-hmm. At that time. Me going to the UFC was really the only thing on my mind. I wanted to be a big-name fighter, and so that's what I wanted. I just wanted somewhere to train, not really looking to make a whole lot of money. Mm-hmm. And things sort of changed with time there. I did that for about a year, and I said, hey, you know what? I love this. This is awesome. It started paying its own bills, and I was like, man, I want to do this full-time. And I found a new little bit larger space, and I was like, hey, man. Uh, I went to the landlord. I was like, hey, man, let's... Let me, let me, I would like to rent this space, and I got a pretty good deal on it. It was kind of off the road. It was on Conway Drive okay. here, in, uh, here in Columbus off Highway 50, and I rented it out, moved in, and I thought, as a lot of business owners do, that I believed it was the field of dreams. I thought that if I built it, they would come, mm-hmm. and boy, was I wrong, <laughs> okay? I was so wrong. I, I went completely broke. I spent... I had saved up about ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars. I was twenty one. At twenty one years old, ten thousand dollars is a lot of money. That's a lot of money. I dumped every. Most twenty one years of already racked up that much debt or more. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, I didn't have any debt, which is one of the ways I was able to get to the point I'm in now. But I had I had saved about. 10, I, I dumped every dime of it into my gym, and I actually had bought a house. And I uh, when I was twenty one, I bought a house out of foreclosure and put some of it into that. But dumped every dime of it into my gym. And I say I, I bought that house. I actually was able to keep the house in this story, barely. My rent on this facility was about $750 a month, which mm-hmm. isn't that much. It was about a 2,500 square foot building. Mm-hmm. Um, it was only half the building. I was only taking in about $1,200 a month, about halfway in. So then I had my house payment come out of that. And then pretty soon that 1200 became 1000 And then that 1000 became 900 and I was dating my wife at the time, and I'll never forget this phone call. I talk about this on some of my live videos. If you guys don't follow me, follow me on Facebook. You can at Relentless, uh, Relentless MMA and Fitness, Columbus, mm-hmm. Mississippi, on Facebook and Instagram, and you can hear some of these other these stories. But I was dating my wife at the time, and I remember I looked at my bank account. I was $875 overdrawn. And um, I called my wife, and we were supposed to have a date that night. And I said, baby, um, I don't want you to break up with me, but uh, I'm not going to be able to take you out to eat anymore. And she was like, wow, what's going on? I was like, I'm $850 overdrawn in my account, mm-hmm. and I'm spending way more money than I'm making every month. And I don't know, if I'm, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do it. And she was like, it's cool, baby. I got you. you know? mm-hmm. And I, honestly, from, that was in 2012. She's paid for most meals since. Like, she still pays for dinner when we go out to eat. <laughs> it was just a habit we started. Yeah. She still pays. I pay all the bills, but she pays when we go out to eat. <laughs> and so I was broke, man. I, I ended up, I shut the power off at my house. My truck, my truck broke down. I had no money to fix it. I had a bicycle. I had a chain that slipped. And I moved in and I started sleeping on my mats. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had nothing. I mean, honestly, I was hungry. I, I, it was a time in my life that I legitimately didn't know where my next meal was going to come from. You know, I was always overdrawn in my account. I had no money. 
And uh, my friends pitched in. My parents gave me some food. My friends would buy me dinner sometimes. Uh, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, mm-hmm. she would pay for my meals. But I legitimately was at a point in my life that I didn't know where my next meal was going to come from, which is an oddly freeing experience. If you've never experienced it, it's scary. But it's, it's honestly, it's not as stressful as like having employees and stuff, believe it or not. But it was, uh, it was, a, it was a rough time. So and was that kind of like a, maybe like a rite of passage type of thing? I feel like it may have been. I th- I, the only reason I was able to do it is because I didn't have any debt. Mm-hmm. I had no debt other than in, I, I borrowed some money for the house. And I was able to make that house note. But I feel like it was a, it was a moment. And I wouldn't be where I am without that moment. Mm-hmm. Because I had a, a moment, and I remember I'd been there for about a year, I'll end up losing that location. I, I couldn't afford to be there, and, and it was a long story. It's how I lost it, but I, it wasn't because I wasn't paying my rent, but I couldn't afford to be there anymore, and I moved out. Mm-hmm. I came to a, an, a moment. I had to move back into my original location, which was embarrassing, so embarrassing, moving back to my original location. Mm-hmm. And I remember having a moment, and me and my wife were getting serious at the time, and she wanted to get married. She's a little bit older than me, and uh, she was ready to get married, and and. I didn't have any money. I couldn't afford not only a wedding. I couldn't afford a wife or a kid. Or right. I couldn't. I, I couldn't afford to put food in my own mouth, much less theirs. And I can't, yes. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of people, you know, jump in there without thinking about that. But I, I was thinking about it. Mm-hmm. But she was ready to get married, and, and I just had no way to provide. And so I, you know, I wasn't. I wasn't ready. I came to this moment in my life where I said, I don't care what I have to do, and I don't care how hard I have to work. I don't care how many hours I have to put in. I will never be this hungry again. Mm-hmm. It was just, I just made my mind up. I was like, I'm never going to be this hungry again for the rest of my life. I'm never going to not know where my next meal's coming from. And luckily I haven't. I've been broke, but I've never been that broke again. Yeah, I found your drive right there. Yeah, it, it, was, it was a moment in my life where, and, and I came to a point where I started putting in applications for jobs outside of the gym because I'd been full-time for a year. And uh, I sat down. And I said, uh, I had to make a decision. And I've had to make this decision a couple times since. But I had to make a decision. And I said, I could either pursue what I love, which at that point had turned into owning a gym, not being a fighter, which was another turning point in my life. I decided that I, I wanted to own a gym. I wanted to help people. That was, that was what I found, where I found my calling. My calling was not teaching martial arts. My calling was I found value in helping people, helping kids okay. through martial arts, helping people lose weight through martial arts, Muay Thai Jiu-Jitsu, helping fighters find their full potential, helping people reach their dreams and creating an environment where people, where people can both fulfill their goals mm-hmm. and also you know, possibly send people to a big show one day, but to the UFC or whatever. But when I, find, I had to make a decision... I put in an application to join the police department. I put in applications to work construction. Mm-hmm. I actually did start working construction part-time again. I started bouncing. I started, um, that was just to keep my food in my mouth during those really dry times. But right. I could either, okay, I'm gonna, I can either say, I said I'm either going to make one last effort and give it everything I've got. Because I knew I had not left it all on the table. I knew I didn't work as hard as I could have. I knew I didn't do everything I could have to be successful. Mm-hmm. I knew that. I, I knew that in my mind. And so I said, I'm either going to make one last effort to give it everything I've got or I'm going to quit and close it, one or the other. Because I can't, you can't, in my opinion, to be successful, you, you focus is the most important thing. Right. If you're split between a couple different things, you're not going to be truly successful most of the time. Right. I, you have to be sold out. And so I had this moment, and I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to make this decision. And I said, I want to try it. And I met a guy who helped me. He's, I had people come in, and, and this guy um, helped me. His name was Robert Smilich. And honestly, me and him, we don't do business together anymore. But 
he did teach me some things about running a business. Mm-hmm. He came in and he sent consultants in, tore me to shreds, told me everything I was doing wrong. I, my, my, my facility was dirty. I had water bottles laying out. I had, you know, the it stunk. It smelled like sweat. You know, mm-hmm. it was just a lot of things, you know, that weren't right. I, I just made up my mind. I said, you know, this is, this is going to be, I'm going to learn how to do it properly. And since then, now I work with uh, Alan Belcher. And he, uh, he, I pay, I hire him for consulting, mm-hmm. and he's on the coast, former UFC fighter. I don't know if you know who Alan Belcher. That he was a UFC contender for a long time, and he owns four locations. And, and I hire him and his team for consulting, and they've definitely turned things around even more, like took us to another level. And so, with that does that kind of help, like promote some of the Hannah Guy fights or some of the other fighters you have here at the gym in house? Does that help kind of promote and get their name out? Does what now? Being involved with Belcher? No, they they don't help us with that. The only thing they do is it's just a consulting firm for the business side of things. Okay, okay. They're they're a consulting firm. We don't actually have any... I don't know, some kind of hookup to where... Yeah, no. Actually, what we do there is uh, through my years of fighting, I have learned how to promote yourself and your business. And so um, part of what we do here with our athletes is we help promote them, but also we teach them how to promote themselves. Mm-hmm. We teach them, okay, you need to be posted on Facebook. If you get a sponsor, you need to bring that sponsor value. Okay, so a lot of athletes, and I'm talking to anybody at home right now that is an athlete. I don't care if you're a softball team that's looking for sponsors. I don't care if you're looking for people to sponsor your choir to go to somewhere in New York to sing. I don't yeah. care. Sponsorships are sponsorships. Yeah. If you're not providing that sponsor value, what you're actually asking for is a handout. It's not the same thing, okay? Everybody who wants sponsorships outside of this type of business, media, they all go for sponsorships, and they're like, I want you to give me money. But they don't have anything really to, that offer. They're, to offer to give them anything in return. Mm-hmm. Well, what are you going to do? give me for this? You're going to shout, save me in one social media post and put me on your fight shorts? That's worth less than nothing, guys. That's worth less than nothing, mm-hmm. okay? If you're going to, if you're not actively getting them business, then they're not a sponsor. You're a beggar, mm-hmm. okay? So that's part of the training that we put our guys through here. If you're going to go ask people for money, then you need to give those people value. You need to give them something. You need to get them business. Mm-hmm. You need to have metrics that you can show them this is what you're going to get for your money. If you can't do that, then you're asking for money. You're not getting sponsorships, mm-hmm. okay? So anyway, that's part of what we do. That's also something that I learned here, too, is bring value. Now, and that was a big changing moment for me when I realized that my gym was not in the business of Muay Thai and Jiu-Jitsu. My gym is in the business of bringing people, getting people to their goals. Now, I use Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Muay Thai to achieve those goals. Yeah. But the business is not Muay Thai and Jiu-Jitsu. The business is bringing people value to solve their problems. What's the problem? Your problem may be that you're... You want to be more in shape. You want to be more in shape. You're, maybe you're a 35-year-old guy that used to play sports and used to feel like you were part of something, but now you got three kids and a mortgage and you're stressed out and you, you, you don't feel like you did in high school anymore. Mm-hmm. You're not part of a team anymore. Mm-hmm. When, when you talk to guys, you know, what's the happiest point in their life most of the time? When they're part of something. They're part of a team. Mm-hmm. Then you get older and you get kids and stuff and you're told that you can't do that anymore. Yeah. yeah, you can. Do it right here. You know what I'm saying? Maybe you're a, a middle-aged mom that doesn't feel good about herself anymore and you're out of shape and you got love handles and you can't get the baby weight off. Mm-hmm. Okay, My job is not to teach you Muay Thai. My job is to solve your problem. I'll teach you Muay Thai in the meantime. Yeah, You know what I mean? But Or fitness, kickboxing, jiu-jitsu, whatever. But 
that was the and, and my mind shift to that was another point in business that I'm not in I'm not out here pushing martial arts for martial arts sake. I'm out here solving problems. Mm-hmm. I use what I know as a vehicle to do that because first and foremost we're a personal development program. You know, with kids for instance, yeah. we're to develop their uh, we're here for personal development. We're to turn them into functioning members of society. Not necessarily just teach them how to choke people. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Right. It helps the fact that our martial arts actually are functional and are going to work if they're ever in an altercation and need to defend themselves. That helps, mm-hmm. but that's not the number one priority of our program. So I got no, I got off topic a little bit there. Oh, no, that's fine. But uh, but that was a, that was a game changing moment for me mm-hmm. in my in my and and also understanding my calling. You know, my yeah. calling was not not to make a hundred badasses walking around Columbus yeah. or a thousand whatever. My calling was to help people. And when I started realizing that that was my calling, it started making me feel a lot better about what I did for a living. I didn't feel so... Uh, stressed about it. Yeah, I didn't feel so stressed about it. You know, because when you're helping people and you're bringing value, money's going to come. Mm-hmm. When, when, when you, a lot of the time when you're broke, if you really sit down and think about it, it's because you're not bringing value to the marketplace. Real talk. Like, that's, that's, a, that's a real... And if, you, if you, I, I know you... I was, I've listened to some of your stuff since I actually talked to you, and I know that you've got some people that own businesses and stuff on there. If you're 25 to 30 years old right now and you're broke, mm-hmm. then and and don't get me wrong, I've been there, you know. <laughs> but if you're consistently broke and you can't figure out why you can't get out of the mud, then you need to sit back and evaluate: Are you actually bringing value to the marketplace? Or are you just doing what you're doing because you think it's fun? Or are you just working a job? You know yeah. what I'm saying? And when you're at that job, are you bringing value to the marketplace at your job? Mm-hmm. Are you bringing value to that marketplace? And if you're not, that's why you're broke. And if you are, you're probably not broke. Yeah. Most of the time. Right. You know? Yeah, it's about and what he means by that is what I gathered is it's coming in every day and bringing you best. That's what, whether it's just if it's a nine to five regular job, you're giving it. Right. That it could mean that. Um, if you own your own business, it might mean that your product sucks. Yeah. Honestly, you may be doing something that nobody needs yeah. in your area. You know? It might mean that you're not giving your full effort, so you're not bringing value. Mm-hmm. Value can mean a lot of different things. If you're working a job, it's probably because you're, then yeah, because you pretty much know what you're there for. It's your, it's your boss's job to make sure that there's a need. It's yeah. your job to bring your best. Yeah. If you own a business, then your value is, is what are you bringing to the community? What are you bringing to everyone else? Mm-hmm. If you're in sales, same thing. Mm-hmm. If you're selling something that no one needs, obviously you're going to be broke, right? Yeah. If you're selling something everyone needs and you're hustling every day, you're probably going to make a lot of money. Because look at the people who really make a lot of money. People in real estate. People in that own and like car dealerships. Mm-hmm. People that meet everyday needs. If you can't turn your product into something that's what people need, then it's sort of an obsolete product. When I found out that 99.999% of the population didn't want to be a cage fighter, then I, I had to realign my perception of what I did for a living. Right. You know, because I wasn't bringing value to the marketplace. Mm-hmm. I was only bringing value to 0.0001% of the population. Mm-hmm. And for the record, that 0.001% were 18-year-olds that don't have any money anyway. Right. That's who wants to be fighters. Mm-hmm. 20-year-olds that yeah, have a bad dream, home that's life. That's how it's going to happen. That's right. And they don't have any money to pay you anyway. Yeah. Okay? So you better hope a Deontay Wilder comes walking in your door. Because <laughs> otherwise, you're going to be poor, my friend. It just is what it is. You know? Yeah. Let's, let's talk a little bit about what all is offered here. You talked a little bit about it earlier, just for people who may be interested in the area. 
as far as the kids, what all what all kind of classes have you got for them? We do kids classes four days a week. It's uh, two days a week we do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Mm-hmm. Um, in my opinion, is the best form of self-defense. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is a better form of self-defense than Muay Thai, in my opinion. Muay Thai is punching, kicking, knees and elbows. Yeah. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu deals with what happens when a bigger person's on top of you. What happens when you have to like fight off someone a lot larger? What happens when... Uh, the fight actually goes to the ground. Yeah. It would be like that little video y'all made for the Black Friday shot. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Hannah's a really good example. She's a little spitfire. She's 130 pounds, fights at 115. I see her tooling guys all the time in here yeah. that think they're going to come in here and, and, you know, oh, she's just a girl. No, you better you better watch yourself. She's not just a girl, you yeah. know. And we got a lot of little guys in there, same thing. Like, they've just learned. It's, a lot, it's, all, it's all about leverage. It's all about... Um, once the fight's on the ground, how to stay on top, how to get people off the top of you, how to win the position battle. Mm-hmm. One thing about a fight is when you're talking about getting into a fight, the person who wins the position battle is going to win that fight. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you're talking boxing, Muay Thai, Jiu-Jitsu, MMA. It doesn't matter. If I win the position battle, everything else is going to fall into place. Okay. So if I'm winning the position battle with my feet in boxing, most of the time I'm going to win the battle with my hands. If I win the position battle in Jiu-Jitsu, I'm going to have the submissions there for me to take advantage of. So it's all about winning position battles. That's the reason why a lot of like self-defense courses really don't work because you can only kick somebody in the nuts so many times if you're not getting the position. Yeah. You know, if you're not winning the position, I can I gouge you all day long, but if I, I'm mounted and you've got your knees in my armpits, you're raining punches on my face, I'm not going to like hammer fist you in the balls or reach up and poke you in the eye and you're going to get off of me. No. You're going to beat me to sleep and hopefully I'll walk away from it. Yeah. So winning that position battle is what jiu-jitsu is all about. Muay Thai is all about punches, kicks, knees, elbows, that kind of stuff. It's all about striking. Every fight, and what I tell everybody is every fight starts on the feet. 99% of fights end on the ground. So to be well-rounded, you really need to know how to fight everywhere. Mm-hmm. So we do a kids MMA class, more of a stand-up based, um, and then a kids jiu-jitsu class, two days a week each. On top of that, we also do what's called our life skills, which is just we, we, we highlight a different life skill every week. So one week we'll talk about respect and the importance of showing respect. Another week we may talk about discipline and talk about the importance of being disciplined if you want to succeed. Another week what we just came out of is uh, perseverance and mental toughness, which uh, we're sort of old school here. We, uh, we believe in instilling these values in kids very young. I believe in it too. Absolutely. And a lot of people do, but they don't, you know, it's very tough to do with kids these days. Because the thing about it is, is kids don't have a lot of things that are very tough in their life that are that really test them. Being a kid is tough, but a lot of times, like their life at home, unless they have a tough home life, yeah. they're on iPads all day. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not in the field, you know, they're not whatever. And so what ends up happening is because they don't learn how to deal with adversity at a very young age, then they get into junior high and they're bullied and they're teased. Uh-huh. And they haven't learned to deal with that. They haven't learned to deal with adversity. They haven't learned to be mentally tough. They haven't learned how to be a man or a young woman that has an identity beyond what you think of me. Mm-hmm. That's important. That's an important thing to develop. And a lot of adults don't have that. Oh yeah. A lot of adults don't have an important sense of identity that's beyond what other people think of them. So you get to middle school and you start getting bullied and you start getting teased. Okay, bullying is always going to happen. It's a very unfortunate truth. Yeah. Teaching your child to deal with adversity is how you, uh, not, maybe not always avoid it, but you, we absolutely do teach kids how to deal with bullying both verbally and physically, physically. both, because it's very important. But also understanding who you are 
outside of that, being mentally tough, knowing how to persevere. Mm-hmm. That those those are skills that a lot of times kids may not have anymore. So that's one of the things we teach in our class: um, the importance of mental toughness. Uh, we you know we may we we really push safety, but at the same time. You know, we may let kids get tired and learn how to push through that exhaustion and tell them to keep going and tell them find to... Find your second win. Right, yeah. find your second win and push forward. And so helping them not only verbally deal with bullying, mm-hmm. not only physically deal with bullying, but also making sure that you have kids that have a self-identity beyond what other people think about them, have a self-identity based in something bigger than themselves, having core values... Because a lot of people don't have a core value. Yeah, they'll they'll go with a win. Right. They, 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 their their core value is just well, I you know, and and just go, because you go to church or whatever does not mean that you have a core value that you base your life on. Mm-hmm. You need to have a core set of values that you believe in that makes you come to work every day mm-hmm. or makes you go to school every day. And when you develop that and you develop a standard for which you or your child is supposed to behave, not just based on the fact that. You know, you're going to get a spanking if you talk back, but a, but a core value that this is who we are as a person, that's how you develop kids at a young age to be able to deal with those things. And it, you have to start young. You need to start as young as you possibly can, mm-hmm. for sure. And, uh, like, our, our kids' class is one of the most high-value classes. It's not our biggest program, but right now there's a waiting list to get into it. We, we just can't handle everybody at once. What's without. the age group like? Uh, we start at five years old. Okay. Um, and then we go to 13. At 13, you have an option. You can either move up to the adult class or you can stay one more year in the kids' program. A lot of times they opt in for one more year in the kids' program just to because the adult program is 14 and up, so you may have 40-year-old guys in there. Um, a lot of our adult programs are more geared to older people, mm-hmm. people over 30. You know, they do pop in for that one more year to mature. But we have a lot of 14- and 15-year-olds and 13-year-olds even that do the adult class that do great. Yeah. But... You know, they, they, they like having, like one of my coaches right now that helps in the kids' program came out of my kids' program, and he opted for one, one another year. And I think I let him stay up until 14 and wow. before he moved up. And he was, uh, it, was a, it was a good move. Let him mature for another year and, and to, before you jumped him into with the grown-ups. Yeah, cool. And so as far as some of the other courses and things that are offered uh, yeah. for the different adults, maybe specifically for the women. Or what have you got going for them? Um, we don't do any courses that are like gender specific. Gender specific. Um, a lot of women do like doing the fitness kickboxing. It's not a martial arts class. We took what we did was I developed a program based around Muay Thai and, and like like fight training to help you like lose the most amount of weight you possibly could, and we took the teaching out of it basically. Okay. So we took our martial arts program and said, okay, we're going to take the teaching out. And our coaches do come around and work one-on-one to make sure you're punching correctly and not going to hurt your hand. It's a lot of bag work. It's some body weight, weight exercises, some of that stuff. It's a lot of punching and kicking. It's a super fun class, mm-hmm. high energy. You're going to go in, you know, it's about an hour long, punch in the bag, kick in the bag. Uh, and you may do some squats or whatever with it, but it's a lot of, a lot of bag. It's a super fun class. I, I love doing it, even though I'm, a, you know, I do the Muay Thai stuff. A lot of our Muay Thai people also do fitness kickboxing because it's a it's an opportunity for them to get more reps in in their Muay Thai, but at the same time have a great workout. It's a lot of fun. So a lot of a lot of women like to do that one. We actually have a lot of women in our Jiu Jitsu Muay Thai program as well. I, I keep going back to the business discussion. I, it was funny. Oh, that's, that's fine, yeah, one of the things that I wanted to do in this gym was to prove everybody wrong. I had a uh, everybody told me that this was not possible. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about. 
everybody because no one's ever done it around here before. No one's ever done this before. People have done martial arts programs focusing on kids before, mm-hmm. but nobody's ever done what we're doing. And that's a martial arts gym that's primary focus is adults. Our primary focus is adults. Mm-hmm. In our like jujitsu, we mostly target guys over thirty. With our Muay Thai, same thing. We have a lot of younger guys in there as well, and a lot of a lot of young women. But and you know, women all the way up into I think around fifty that do that class. But it has just never been done before. Everybody had always told me that if you're going to make money in this business, you need to focus on kids and fitness kickboxing. That's where the money is, right? Everybody had told me that, and I just made up my mind a while back. I actually quit doing fitness kickboxing for two years to prove a point. I don't know why I did that, because I put left so much money on the table. But just to prove a point, I was like, you know what? I'm going to show everybody that you're wrong. You can make money doing this. You can make a living, a comfortable living, focusing. And I didn't actually start doing fitness kickboxing again until we moved here to this new location of 45, mm-hmm. is when we reintroduced that program. Before that, we never, never did that. You know, It was all Muay Thai Jiu-Jitsu. It was sort of a, a moment for me to not gloat, like that's not the right word, yeah. but it was like everybody told me it couldn't be done. Everybody told me, oh, this is where the money is, there's no money here. I was like, well, I'm not going to listen to you, you know? And everybody was like, you can't do it, it's not no money. Like, well, we're going to find out. Yeah. And we're doing pretty well. Yeah. So. I like it, man. It's walk that long mile just to prove it. That's right, just to prove you, a point. Because you knew it would. Me and my dad talk about that a lot because... You know, my, I remember my dad. He was right when he said this. Don't get me wrong. My dad's a very smart guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he's self-made. Um, owns a real estate investment company. He owns Farmstead Restaurant in East Columbus. And the building that that's in, he owns, you know, he's a very sharp guy. And didn't even start until he was in his mid-40s before he even started. He's, you know, in his late 50s now. He didn't even start investing or doing anything until then. And so uh, he's self-made just over the past 15 years. So he's a super sharp guy, but I remember he told me, he was like, hey, Jake, I don't know if you know this, but uh, you're going to go broke running a gym for people to punch each other in the face. Just, and he was right. He was 100% right. Okay, you can't run a gym for people to punch each other in the face. But part of my drive was just kind of like, I'm going to show him. I'm going to show him. Yeah. It can be done. I can do this. I can do this. You know. And so I went very hungry a lot of times yeah. just to prove that I was right you know, to him and a lot of other people, even though he was did turn out to be right. You can't run a gym based on people punching people in the face. Yeah. I did completely change my business model, but yeah. So, and then we have the we have the Muay Thai and the Jiu Jitsu. Those are our two big adult programs. Muay Thai at six fifteen and eleven fifteen in the morning, six fifteen in the evening. It's just a striking class, super beginner friendly. So our big programs are all beginner programs. Okay. You come in, there's no sparring in that class. We do spar here, but just not in that class. Yeah. You come in, it's a lot of bag work, it's mitt work and personal person drilling with like cardio. You know, a little bit of cardio mixed in, a lot of pad work. You know, just for people to learn the basics of Muay Thai. If you want to go on from there and spar and really test your your uh, your skill, you can. Most people don't. Yeah. You know, most people are like, "Yeah, I'm good." You know, I don't I don't really want to get hit in the face. But like we have a then we have jujitsu that's after that. It's a Muay Thai is probably our largest program overall as far as just number of people. Mm-hmm. Jujitsu is probably our second largest. That's a it's a little different class. It's in the gi. You know, it's a which the gi is kind of like the karate suit you see people wearing, but the jiu-jitsu gi is really, really thick because we use it to like for throws. It's more like judo than like probably what a lot of people are thinking about. But um, okay. that program really caters more to a little bit of an older audience. They really like it. They like the fact that you can stay active really later in life. You're not getting hit in the face. You're not, it's not quite as hard on your joints. I'm not going to say that it's easy on you. I don't think staying physically active, doing anything that's really going to keep you in shape is going to be just 100%. I've never seen anything that doesn't put right. some miles on you. 
you know, the guy out there who's teaching tonight, Brad, he's, you know, he's in his mid-40s, but um, he's out there teaching class and doing it right there with all the guys. Me and him roll every time he's here and go after it. And he mm-hmm. beats me up, and it's uh, it's it's a great time. So yeah. you can um, – it's, it's a little different class. And once again, that's the grappling class, you know, subject control, getting people off the top of you, joint locks and chokes, uh, how to beat somebody bigger, that kind of stuff. That's a great class. Right now that's probably where – my passion is because it shifts every three months. Sometimes I'm like all about Muay Thai, and for three months I'll be all about Jiu Jitsu. I can't pick which one I like more. But uh, right now, Jiu Jitsu is where it's at. So I'll check back in with you in three months. Yeah, I'll be Muay Thai then. Okay. Yeah. So, how did uh, getting this facility right here in this building, how did this come to be? Okay, well, it was always a dream of mine to be on 45. I never thought I'd be in a building this big, I never thought I'd be in a 12,000 square foot. Yeah. building right on 45 across Belk and Dicks. I mean, just right in the thick of it. Mm-hmm. So what happened was I decided I wanted to move, and I was doing really well in the old location. There was no air conditioning in the old location. It was really hot, and it was summertime. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, I cannot spend another summer here because we were you know, we were still doing well, but not as well as I think we could have been. Yeah, it's and kind of turn a lot. Yeah, I mean, it was about 110 degrees in there in some of those classes. So you got to think you're doing intense cardio in 110-degree heat. Average people are not going to do that. Mm-mm. And I had a, I had a, I had a, I was asking, I asked myself, I was sitting and thinking about it. I said, you know what? If it were me, would I do it? Assuming I'm not a fighter. Take that out of the equation. I'm not getting ready for a fight. I'm just mm-hmm. a guy who's got three kids at home. I got a wife mm-hmm. and I work a job. Am I going to pay the amount of money that our memberships cost for 110 degree heat for me to come and do it? No, Mm-mm. I absolutely wouldn't have. And my members were doing it, but I wouldn't have. I was getting paid to be there, so I didn't mind. I was right. drenched in sweat, but I was like, this is what I do for a living, yeah. so no big deal. But would I have paid that money to do it? Mm, if I'm being completely honest with myself, no, I wouldn't have. So I was like, i got to move to a building with air conditioning. Mm-hmm. You know, even if it's still in East Columbus, which is not the best side. It's not a bad side of town, but it's not the best side of town. i got to be somewhere with air conditioning. So I started pricing around. I found this building. It was too expensive. I couldn't afford it. I was actually working with David Coleman, the guys at Coleman Realty. They actually helped me out a lot on this deal. They knew the guy that owned the building, uh-huh. and David kind of talked to him. And I came and looked at it, and originally they were going to split the building in half, and I was going to rent half of it. Because okay. really, 6,000 square feet is all I really needed. I didn't need 12,000 square feet. And to be honest with you, I didn't really want 12,000 square feet. Yeah. Because I didn't want to heat and cool to it. My power bill was like $2,000. You know? I talked to him and met with him, and we were talking, and I was like, well, you know, I, I'm one of these people... I'm an entrepreneur, okay? Mm-hmm. I'm, I always think bigger than I really should. I'm always thinking, like, years ahead. I'm, uh-huh. I'm like a visionary, like, big um, to a fault. It's not a good thing, so it sounds like that's braggy. It just means I'm dumb, and I make really rash decisions. Yeah. That's really all that means. I make, like, really, like, spur-of-the-moment decisions. I had no intention of trying to rent this whole building. I was in the meeting with the guy about half of it, and I was like, hey, well, what would you do if you just gave me a huge discount? It's going to cost you $100,000 to split the building. What if we just... Let me rent all of it mm-hmm. and let me just take care of it. And you can stair-step it and it can go up a little bit as time goes on and you can still get some money out of it, but then you don't have to put all the money into it. We negotiated that out and I'm not going to go into the details, but that is, that's ended up what happened. Okay. And he, he turned me down originally. I was like, oh, thank God. Because that was just like a spur-of-the-moment thing. It was a rash decision and I'm the world's worst about that. Yeah. I'm like, I could turn like one half into this and I'll turn one half into a fitness gym or one half into fitness kickboxing, another half into Muay Thai Jiu-Jitsu. Uh-huh. Or I had all these big plans. 
It, I mean, like, I'm paying over, like, three times what I was paying my other building. Yeah, you just get the car way before the horse. And I, yeah, yeah. And and I was just, I don't know what I was thinking. So we turned it down. And I was like, okay, sweet, no problem. I'll take half the building still. That's cool. At the price we discussed. He was, and like, I guess he was kind of trying to negotiate when he countered. And he was like, oh, never mind. We'll take your original offer so we don't have to split the building. I was like, oh, no. No, I am going to have to take the whole building. And so I did, which was fine. It just... Uh, it was a lot of money getting it up and going that I didn't have. Honestly, I'm going to tell you, put you guys in my business. Um, it's funny because I'm a very open person. People usually in business are very closed-mouthed. I had no capital going in here. None. I had no money. Anytime I've ever done a build-out, I've always started it with absolutely no money and just a lot of, like, dreams. Mm-hmm. Really not a great way to do business, just honestly, but it's the way I've always done it. Mm-hmm. Um, I had nothing. Like, seriously, I'd spent, I had a couple thousand dollars saved up maybe. You know, my income was really high, but I always found a way to spend it. Yeah. And I just went in here. I did all, most of all the work myself. And one of the things that allowed us to get in here, seriously, because I only had, he gave me two months to do the remodel. It's a 12,000 square foot space. I had no money, so I couldn't hire anybody. It was all just me. But what allowed me to do it was our members. Because the thing about it is, this gym is different than like a gym. So gym's really not even the right word. It's like an academy is actually what you would normally call it. Okay. They all, like we would have like a Saturday, we'd have 20 people up here working for free all day in the heat with no air conditioning in the middle of the summer. Just, you know, p- patching holes and doing work and painting, whatever. In the middle of the week, I'd have three or four people that if they weren't at work, they were here helping. So wow. I would have just a team of people that just came out of their way, and most of them kind of knew what they were doing. Some of them didn't, but you gave them a little, you know, give them a little something to do, sweeping or mopping or whatever, yeah. and they go to they it, and they, and they bust their ass doing it, man. Yeah. And so, like, we're a family here because it's like I said, it's not like Planet Fitness where there's a hundred thousand members and they're mm-hmm. paying ten dollars a month, you know, and you don't ever know, you don't know most of them. We're really tight knit. Like we're we're all about. Yeah, you know, just the, when I walked in, I mean, everybody was, hey, man, how you doing? Yeah, everybody's real friendly. Yeah. and It's part of our culture here. Yeah. Our culture is because, and one of the reasons why I've really pushed that, it's a, for a few reasons. One, because it's the kind of place I want to be. If you own a business and you don't like what you do for a living, it's your fault. If you don't like the environment your business is, it's your fault because you create the culture. Yeah. The other thing is, is when people go into MMA gym, there's a certain level of anxiety because what are you thinking when you think about going to MMA gym? You're thinking about a big, roided out, jacked up, tattooed, bald guy that's going to pummel your face into the ground. Yeah. And he's going to be like, what What are you doing here? That's what you are almost anticipating when you go into an MMA gym. So, like, everything we do is, like, to counter counteract that. Yeah, you're countering the culture, man. Yeah. It's like when I walked in, I mean, it was, you know, immediately shook hands with you and then Hannah and the teacher. They yeah. were like, hey, how you doing? Yeah, real friendly. Yeah. And we try to make it just a really welcoming environment. Yeah. That, that people want to stay in. And you nailed it. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. We work hard at it. But we have this really family-oriented atmosphere. When I say family-oriented, what I mean that is we're a family. And when you come here, it's almost like you jo- you're joining a family. Mm-hmm. Our members stay for years. We, uh, we're all about like each other. We, 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 we do things for each other. If you need help, like you, we're all going to be there. And so, Because that's part of the problem we fix. You know, one of the problems we have is after a certain age, you've had kids, you're, you got married, you had kids, you, you maybe run a business or you have a, not, have a good job. Because, you know, most of our people here are not successful necessarily or successful in their own way. They, they, mm-hmm. they work a decent job. They're not bums. You know, they're, they're, they're people that, yeah. you know, work and whatever. But in that process, you start to lose things. You start primarily friends as you get older, you know, especially as a man. Yeah. You start just it's not knocking them off the list, knocking them off the list. You're not part of the football team anymore, bam, you just lost 24 friends. Mm-hmm. You know, you might hold on to a couple of them through college, go through college, graduate, get married, bam, you just lost three of them. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're lucky, 
you'll find one friend that is there with you for your entire life. That's what my dad told me. He's yeah. like, if you have one friend that makes a long haul, he said, you'll be way more blessed than most. That's exactly right. I've got one friend. We've been best friends since we were seven. Joe Savage, he trains here. He's, he's been my best friend since we were kids. Yeah. And we've been best friends since Vernon Elementary School. We've went to every school together, Emanuel, Victory, went to all schools together. Man. You know, we've been, he's had my back through thick and thin. And, but that's the, the environment we, we, we solved that problem here. One of the problems that we solve is, is when you're here, you're part of something. We have members that have been paying for like two years. I'm not talking $10 a month either. You know, we're talking a, a good little, but because they're part of the family, they never cancel their membership and they may not have shadowed the door in a year or two. Wow. Because they just got busy and couldn't train anymore. Mm-hmm. But they're just like, man, I just want to stay part of that culture. I want to stay part yeah. of that. You know, because that, that, that was the environment. So, like, like, when I fight, people come in from out of town that used to train here from all over. They, you know, when people from the old fight team fight, and they come, people come in from all over because, like, man, Hannah's fighting or Jake's fighting mm-hmm. or whoever's fighting. Mm-hmm. You know, even though I haven't seen them in two or three years and I live in Montgomery or I yeah. live in I'm Atlanta, gonna I'm going to come watch this fight and stay for the weekend because it's part of the culture. Mm-hmm. Having that family culture was really important to me. Cause, and I'm going to be honest, it wasn't just because of the, pro- the value and the problem we were solving. It was important to me because that's what I wanted. Mm-hmm. I wanted a family. I wanted something tight-knit where everybody had everybody's back. And so uh, just ingraining that in our culture and just making that part of what we do here is, is just really important to me. I can see it, man. I appreciate <laughs> it. Thank you. It's, uh, it's, it's important. So. What little time I spent walking from walking through the gym and... Meeting and talking to the few people I talked to while yeah. I was here, I can tell. Yeah, it's a slow night tonight, so not a lot of people. It was the night before Thanksgiving. Yeah. So, you know, this is Wednesday. I don't know when this will go out, but this is Wednesday before Thanksgiving. So Hopefully tomorrow. Okay, yeah. So it's uh, it's sort of a sort of a slow night, but yeah, we're which that means the people that are here are really dedicated. Yeah. You know, next level dedicated. Yeah. So, yeah. So... The fight team. So, what are, what are some of the events coming up for the team? Yeah, we've got some really cool stuff coming up. Actually, we've got um, there's actually a, a boxing show going to be here in Columbus um, at the Trotter in January, and I'm 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 hoping to maybe fight on that card, um, and okay. that'll be my first fight in a year. And I haven't had an MMA fight in a while, but I did a pro boxing match this past January and won, and then I'll be fighting. I'm not a boxer. Yeah. I just enjoy it, you know. Okay. I, I like it. I like to, I, and I like to show to everybody. Hey, man, I may, I'm more known for my grappling, but I'm like, hey, man, I just let everybody know I've got some hands, you know. No hands too. Um, which, uh, so yeah, it, it, we got the boxing show in January. We've got uh, another show, and uh, they're wanting Hannah to defend her title in either Birmingham or Memphis in January as well. It's two different titles for two different promotions. Actually, she's got both of them, and they both want her to defend. Yeah. And we're trying to put her on a card there. We've got two people. We're Prop trying to fly to Anaheim, California in December. We've got IBJJF Worlds, no gi, um, wow. which is like the World Championship of Jiu-Jitsu. And I've got two people. We're trying to we're raising money currently to make to for them to be able to go. It's sort of a last minute thing. I'll be honest. I I mean they both got a really good shot at winning it, and it'd be a good. It would be a really good thing for our gym. Uh, who, who are those guys? It'll be actually Hannah will be one of them, and then uh, Richard Gathens. Richie is he actually works here, helps with the kids as well. Um, he's a young 18-year-old. He just had his MMA debut a while back. He's a super good grappler. He's been with me since he was 13, 14, something like okay. that. Been with me forever. He's the one that started in the kids' class, and I think he'd have a good shot at it as well. And if they don't, we don't, we're don't. we not worried about it. You know, It's still going to be a great trip. Yeah. Uh, one of the things we talk about, I, it's actually, if, you'll, uh, if you look around, you may even see some of their stuff around here. We're, we're in the process of hiring a mindset company to help us 
with the proper mindset. One of the things that we do for our mindset is to help alleviate and and stay in the right mindset when you're competing is uh, performance-based, not outcome-based. Okay, we don't go to win; we go to do the absolute best every single time. Okay, if you win but you didn't perform perform well, then you shouldn't be happy. If you lost but you performed your best, you should be happy. So, uh, realigning your perception to performance-based mindset. Right, wins or loses don't matter. What because wins or loses come and go. You can't control that outcome because you might be going against the best grappler in the world, or you might be going against the worst. Yeah. Okay, so you can't control that outcome. You may perform terribly, but you just went against somebody more terribly than you, yeah. and you won. But that doesn't mean you should ha- be happy with your performance. Yeah, it wasn't a one. Right. A win. <laughs> so on the same note, you may be in a fight against John Jones, and you may lose, but you performed well, so, so, there's, no, so there's no reason to be upset with it. Exactly. And that's true in anything. You know, when, you, when you get super wrapped up in outcomes, because there's always going to be variables you can't control. In every match... In every business, in every relationship, there's always going to be variables you can't mm-hmm. control. So becoming, having that performance-based mindset over that outcome-based mindset is, is super important. But also make sure that we're, we are, as coaches, rewarding and giving positive reinforcement to the correct things. This is super important. Don't just give positive reinforcement for positive reinforcement's sake. Positive reinforcement for the correct things. When you give positive reinforcement for the wrong things... Even though they may seem like the right things, you can actually create performance anxiety in athletes. One of the mo- one of the worst things to give positive reinforcement for is athletic ability. You should never positively reinforce someone for being a good athlete, because what that does is two things. Okay. All right. Number one is if they ever start to lose, they have only built their identity based on winning. And how good they are naturally, oh. not at their effort. Secondly, if they do make it, they'll never believe that they deserve it, and they'll never they'll it'll, they'll struggle to to perform at their best at high levels because they don't believe they deserve to be there. You see it all the time with NFL players and NBA players. They get there and they blow it in their personal life because they got there and they didn't believe they deserved it. They didn't believe that it was something that they could hold on to. Mm-hmm. And then it would end up becoming a fulfilling prophecy because they couldn't, didn't believe they could hold on to it. They didn't believe they could hold on to the money and the fame. They couldn't because they believed that their natural athleticism got them there. Not to say that it didn't play a role, mm-hmm. but not their work ethic. So when you're praising a young athlete, especially a kid, and I, and I know this from making this mistake. Find specifics. Find not just specifics. Praise their work ethic. Praise how hard they worked. Praise how hard they tried in the match, win or lose. If they won but they didn't try hard, it goes back to the outcome over performance. Well, performance over outcome. Anybody. You don't give them positive reinforcement because you, you, you weren't aggressive. You, you weren't technical. You didn't stay active. You weren't looking for finishes. Same thing for – and I've, had, I've done this. I'm, just, I'm saying this from experience. When you take someone like, for instance, I had a young kid who was one of the best athletes I've ever met in my life. I'm talking phenomenal. It's happened several times. This is a really good one, though. He, and he always won. He always won. And me, his parents, everybody, we thought, man, you're so good naturally. You're naturally just so good. It's just, you're just a natural. He got bumped up to expert division in grappling, and he started losing. And he was done. Two, two losses. He was it. Haven't seen him since. He was with me for years. But two couple losses. He was gone. This happened with a few kids. But one in particular. And that'll carry, man. It will. And it'll carry for the rest of your life. Because, but, but, but when you praise work ethic, what does that make that kid want to do? Work harder. Work harder. 
What's the only the only thing that you can control in your life is what your how hard effort. you work yeah. exactly. It's the only thing you control. You can't control where you were born. You can't control your address, who your parents were, how much money you have. You can't control those things. Mm-mm. What you can control is your effort, your work, your, your work ethic. Yeah. Can't do so, anything about your hand, but you can play it. That's exactly right. So when you're talking to young people, and this is true in grades, it's true in in everything. But when you can develop that work ethic mindset mm. at a young age where, hey, we're not proud of you because you're smart. It's how hard you work. Because how often do you see the smartest kid in the class be a DNC student, especially boys? Mm-hmm. How often do you see, I was one of them, super bright, super bright kid, but they don't put forth the effort. How often do you hear teachers say you could be so smart if you just put in the effort? Yeah, there's one or two in each class. Man. That's right. Every, every class has at least one. Super bright kid could be world-changingly smart. I wasn't that smart, but yeah. could be world-changingly smart. But they have so much anxiety over failure, they'd rather not try and, and get by than to try and fail because the idea of letting everyone down who said that they were smart and said that they could do it because of their natural ability, the idea of letting those people down builds up so much anxiety that they never perform. It happens in school, it happens in sports, it happens in everything. So if you want to ruin your child's ability to perform, praise things that they have no control over. The only thing they can control is their effort. So the number one thing you should be controlling all the time, and you can you can praise technique. You can say, hey, man, you did an awesome job on that double leg. You drove for it. You were aggressive. Hey, man, you did an awesome job on that arm bar. You did an awesome job on that test, whatever. But make sure that you're praising the, the work. effort that they did, not never say, wow, you're just naturally gifted, even if they are. You can say it to other people, but don't ever say it to them because then it's going to create a mindset that, hey, I'm anxious. I don't want to let people down because whereas I tell, and you can tell your kids, as long as you work hard, you'll never let me down. They don't hear that. Kids are nonverbal. Yeah. Okay. They see your actions, right? Um, Even when you're teaching kids, when you learn, they're nonverbal. You can't sit there and tell a kid what to do. You have to show them. You have to put them in the positions. You have to show them. You have to do it. That's the only way that they learn. So when you, if you get mad at a kid who worked hard but lost, you see this in peewee sports all the time, uh, and I'm a big, I have a lot of video talking about this, then you are reinforcing outcomes that they have no control over, mm-hmm. over the effort they put in, and you are setting your child up for failure. Or your athletes. So we do the same thing with our athletes here. So we're talking about the fight team. Mm-hmm. What we do is, uh, for instance, take Hannah. Over, we were talking about the, the, the student that had super great athleticism. Hannah was not a phenomenal athlete when she started with us. And she's still not. Just honestly. Yeah. She's not. She's not a phenomenal athlete. She can't jump very high. She doesn't run very fast. She's not super coordinated. She is strong for a female. But the two things that Hannah has going for her, no one works harder than her. Mm-hmm. Nobody. Like, seriously, I've been in this game for a long time. She's the hardest working student I've ever had. She trains. She would train six times a day if you'd let her. She wants to do nothing but train all the time. Mm-hmm. She, the other thing that she, she has going for her, yeah, she loves it. And she's super hardworking. So she never gets tired when she fights. She can go for days. The other thing is that she's super mentally tough. Mm-hmm. You cannot make her quit. I've seen... Handles adversity. Yeah. Gina Gooden was her last opponent. And Gina was the number one ranked female in the Southeast for amateurs. She was the number one ranked anywhere around her. She came out of Kentucky. Hannah was the number two going into that fight. Mm-hmm. Hannah was a big underdog. She was 6-0. and Hannah was 5-0. and Okay? The first exchange. These are 115-pound girls. Mm-hmm. Small. The first two punches of the fight had Hannah's head swollen up like a grapefruit. Oh, wow. her, her left, it was a right eye, was 
I mean, just it looked like she had a golf ball. Her eye was almost swollen shut on the first two punches, and she won that round. You know, just two punches. The girl hit so hard. She was 115 pounds, and I saw a video of her on Facebook deadlifting 225 pounds, she hit like a truck. repping it out. Yeah, I mean, she she hit super hard, and every person she had fought in the six fights, she was six and zero. Only she had only had six fights, was only six people would would fight her because she had hurt everybody. She, she had like broken jaws, yeah, and like broke a girl's like arm and tore her shoulder up. I don't remember what all of them were, but everybody just found a way to get hurt against her. This girl hit Hannah. Hannah's not super athletic. But she's super tough, and you can't make her quit. Mm-hmm. And she worked super hard, and she just kept pushing into her, and kept pushing into her, and kept pushing into her. She won the first round, Hannah lost the second round. Going into the third, we didn't know what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I told her, Hannah, in the corner, and I'm very honest with my fighters when I'm in the corner. I said, here's the deal. I'm scoring this fight. You won the first round 10-9. You just lost the second round 10-9. The winner of this fight is who wins this round. Secure the position. If you find a submission, take it. But don't lose position over it. Let's get the win on decision. That was my mindset, which is really not the right mindset. You should always be going for the finish, right? Hannah said, no. Hannah finished the girl with like 30 seconds left in the fight. <laughs> finished her. The girl and, the, and was struggling. Um, it actually got turned into a no contest because the girl cut her leg on the cage oh, in the last couple of seconds right as Hannah choked her out. But um, it was a really good example that we could take home to the kids and say, this is a good example of how to deal with adversity, how to deal and use that perseverance mm-hmm. to the girl was more athletic. The girl was a purple belt in jiu-jitsu. Hannah's only a blue, so it's a pretty big difference there. Mm-hmm. The girl had better striking than Hannah, had better boxing, had better technique on her hand on her, with, her, with her striking than Hannah did. The girl was a great wrestler. The girl was stronger than Hannah. And she come in with just mental toughness. And mental hard toughness, work hard work, and effort. Those three things took the number one, possibly the number one female 115er in the country and beat her in the third round with it. Okay, so so don't you can't you can't deny those things. Mm-hmm. You can't deny the fact that you take an athlete like that and apply those things to them, and I can make them do that. Versus you take the most athletic kid, he gets the expert and he starts losing and he quits mm-hmm. against tough opponent when the opposition gets tough. And and so that was that's the, sort of the core values. Yeah, what does it program. say about its trajectory? Right. Exactly, which I think the kid's probably going to be successful. Yeah. He's got a great attitude. He's a super nice, likable kid. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very sharp. He's very smart. But I would just and, and we've got several like this. I've had a lot of people. They come in, they lose a fight, and they quit. You know, they lose and they quit. They lose and they quit because our society conditions us to be very outcome based. Another reason you don't want to do that is because you don't ever want to let the outcomes affect like relationships. Because when you're a winning fighter, everybody's your best friend. Oh yeah. But when you're a losing fighter, everybody talks about you behind your back. Mm-hmm. I've once again found this out personally. So, because I had that, my first, I was undefeated for a little while, and everybody was like, oh, when you fight again, da, 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 da. And then I lost my first fight against a super game opponent, super tough guy. And I, but I lost, and then all of a sudden, everybody knew I was a pansy to begin with. Like, oh, yeah, I know he wasn't going to make it, you know? Yeah. And then you just turn around. So, so, once again, getting into that performance base, which I didn't perform well in that fight, and that's why I lost. Because most of the time, when you get the hard work, the work ethic, and the effort, and all incongruence, and you become performance-based, and you're performing at your best, usually wins fall in line with that. That's how you become a winner. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that we think losing is okay. It's part of life. Yeah, you're you know? going to lose. You're going to lose some. But when you focus on the correct things, it sets you up for those wins. Because wins and losses are going to come and go. And whatever you're in, mm-hmm. they're going to come and go. But understanding what to focus on. Uh, and we put little things up, like right, you, you can see it there. We uh, we talk about 
uh, talk about this a lot because when you're in this business, you, you have people, they, they talk about you and other fighters talk about you, but the postcard, there's a picture of Michael Phelps. I actually uh, got this from somebody else at a, at a conference I was at, but it's a picture of Michael Phelps. And uh, there's a guy swimming next to him, and Michael Phelps is looking straight ahead. The other guy's looking at Michael Phelps, and it says, "Losers focus on winners. Winners focus on winning." And it's it's very true. When you're winning, everybody's focused on you. Everybody's focused on what you're doing. Conor McGregor said it before in his fights. Everybody was asking, you know, this and that. He was like, "I'm not even focused on him. I've got nothing to say about him because I'm a winner. He's focused on me. These people are talking about me because I'm a winner. I'm a winner. I'm focused on winning." You know, and you can say what you want to about after this recent loss he got to Khabib, which was inevitable in my opinion because Khabib, he didn't have a shot against that, in that fight. But the end of the day, the man's a winner. He's a winner at life. He's a winner. Yeah. He has a mindset that is he is a winner. He's got his brand now. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's the highest paid mixed martial artist of all time, and he's never defended a title. Think about that. He's only had, what, yeah. three title fights in the UFC? And we were talking earlier about being able to promote yourself. Mm-hmm. There's nobody better in the game than him. Absolutely. And you know what? I've been in a lot of arguments about this. We're, I guess we'll turn the topic to the UFC a little yeah. bit. Yeah, let's do it. Um, I get in a lot of arguments about this because a lot of people don't like the way the UFC is going. And I see where they're coming from because mm-hmm. it's not a martial arts mindset, way of thinking, that very respectful, humble, which I think is important in martial arts. But one thing that Connor has done is fighters are getting paid more now than they ever have. Mm-hmm. When Anderson Silva was champion, arguably one of the greatest champions, if not the greatest champion that's ever lived in his prime, mm-hmm. he was making about $250,000 a fight. Okay. Connor. Maybe once, twice a year. Yeah. So he's making you know, five hundred grand a year, which is good money for us. Yeah. But you compare that to Major League Baseball and boxing and football, and you're talking about the greatest in our sport. He's making 500000 a year. Now he has sponsorships and some things on top of that. He And performance bonuses. He was making a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. But still only a couple million. Connor came in here and in one fight made $100 million. In a single fight made $100 million. Made more in one fight than every other fighter had made in their entire career combined in all their fights. Okay? No fighter had ever made 100, broke $100 million before. Yeah. Ever before Connor. He did it without ever defending a title. And he did it in a sport that wasn't even what he did. He did it in boxing. Yeah. Now he's making tens of millions in the UFC. We're going to have blowback from that from, from now on. Fighters are going to make more money from now on because of Connor. From now on. Because he, people are more interested. Mm-hmm. People want to see that. People like drama. People like people that talk. He's good looking. He can talk. He's super funny. Mm-hmm. He's well dressed. He's the kind of fighter that people either love or they love to hate either way they're watching the pay-per-view and that's your only value as a fighter which is another thing I teach my fighters here your value as a fighter is is not how good you are in the cage your value as a a fighter is how many people want to watch you Demetrius Johnson was probably that's exactly right because if they hate you they're still a fan they're still watching they're still a fan that's important to remember in your life too in my opinion I think there's a lot of correlations between fighting and martial arts in life look at Demetrius Johnson Demetrius Johnson was the best pound for pound fighter in the UFC Mm mhm until when he lost his title. He was better than Connor. He was better in every way. Mm-hmm. Every way. He had defended his title multiple times. His pay-per-view numbers were garbage. Nobody cared, and they just traded him for Ben Askren, who I actually got to meet recently um, cool. at a conference. Yeah, it was really cool. Very briefly, but it was still cool. <laughs> he was, uh, we, we sat next to each other at a restaurant when we all went out to eat. He was like one chair down from me. But uh, I was so fanboy struck that I couldn't like... Uh, like uh, say anything, yeah. And so uh, it was very like, and then like almost informal meeting. But it was still it was a great experience. But anyway, they just traded him for Ben Askren. It was funny because I met him and, like a week later. He got traded to the UFC, so it was cool. But 
The point I'm making is Demetrius Johnson was the best mm-hmm. of the time. He defended the title, what, eight, nine times? He had, had set records. He was demolishing everyone in his way, in, in front of him. Everyone. He was demolishing everybody. I mean, nobody could even stay in there with him. And nobody cared. Nobody cared at all. Like, he didn't have, I don't know, a single Demetrius Johnson fan other than fighters. And so, you, then you get Connor, who everybody was calling the best pound for pound, which was ridiculous. Of course he wasn't. What are you talking about? He's never defended his title. How can he be the best pound for pound? Yeah. You know, he's a good fighter, but either he didn't have the title or he had had the title but had never defended. He had only had three title fights and lost one of them. Mm-hmm. You know, he lost to Nate Diaz and everybody forgot about it. Why? Because he was marketable. He was sellable. He knew how to talk. He knew how to make you want to watch that pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Love him or hate him, you got to give him that. Yeah. you got to give him the fact that you were watching that pay-per-view when, when, when Khabib mauled him because you wanted to watch Conor fight. For you either, you either you want, want you yeah. wanted his face punched in, right. or you wanted him to win. And the thing about it was, <laughs> I was uh, I, I actually became a Connor fan recently. I didn't like him in the beginning, and I became a Connor fan. And it's funny, I became a Connor fan from the bus incident. That's actually was the moment that I was like, I like this little Irish dude. Like I like this guy. You know, which was I think we talked about it on the podcast, but uh, on episodes gone by. But you know what my thoughts, and that was kind of where I really started paying more attention to him. Yeah, I was like. He's doing something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, let me tell you what uh, the reason I decided to be a Connor fan. It was the moment, and it, you know what? That whole thing might have been staged. Yeah. There may have been nothing I to it. I thought it was, personally. And it may have been. Because it was to build hype for Yeah, me. and it did. And it, it may have been staged. I don't know. And it doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, it does to me a little bit. I'm going to tell you why it made me a Connor fan. Okay. It made me a Connor fan because it was the moment that I realized he was for real. <laughs> this dude was serious. I thought he was just talking trash to get media attention and to get pay-per-view buys. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. I think he's getting undue attention. I don't think he's as good as, as his hype is. The moment, because it made me a fan of him as a person. Mm-hmm. And I watched Notorious. That helps too. It was the moment, because here's the thing. Hear me out. A lot of people are writing me off right now, especially the martial arts community, because everybody was super upset about this, because it didn't. It wasn't becoming of a martial artist to do those things. It was, he's not humble, whatever. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's set the stage here. Khabib and his team kind of abused and kind of beat up one of Connor's teammates. That's what kind of started the whole thing. Was slapping him around. Didn't really beat him up badly, but embarrassed him, slapped him around. Yeah. Connor sees the footage. Connor then gathers 10 of his goons, mm-hmm. gets on a plane, looking at a wall, has hours. I don't know how long it takes to get to Ireland, to the U.S. I don't remember if it was in New York where it happened or whatever. But... Hours on a plane, plenty of time to calm down. He gets off that plane. He finds the people who did it. And he threw a dolly through a bus window because he wouldn't get out of the bus and fight him. Mm-hmm. All right, because the bus was leaving. That's the kind of dude I want on my team. Yeah. Just real talk. That's a real friend. That's a homeboy. That's a homie. Yeah. That's Hopped a, yeah. on a plane. Yeah, got on a pri- rented a private jet because somebody slapped his friend. <laughs> he rented a private jet. Got like 20 goons and went riding. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a real dude. That's a real, that's somebody that's got your back. Yeah. I'm not saying he was right. That's not my argument. I'm not saying it was the right way to handle it. I'm saying that if my back's against the wall, that's the kind of dude I want riding with me. Mm -hmm. Okay? Maybe it was the wrong way to do it. But I've seen a lot of people in situations that were a lot more personal and happening right in front of them and do nothing. I've seen people watch their friends get jumped in a parking lot and get their head kicked in, and they sat in the truck and watched, which I don't know how you look yourself in the mirror when you see something like that happen. I've seen people watch women get the crap beat out of them and pummeled, and they sit there with their hands in their pockets. Okay? 
This dude had hours to calm down, days to calm down. Mm -hmm. This dude rented a private jet because somebody was messing with somebody on his team. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be on my team, that's the kind of person I want. That's just what I'm saying. I'm going to leave it right there. I'm not going to say anything about it. But that's the kind of person I want. Yeah, man. I'm with you on that. Because when we were talking about it and how it all was going down, I was like, man, that's that's just like something you would see for a wrestling preview. Yeah, for sure. It looked like a Stone Cold Steve Austin, Vince McMahon pouring the concrete in the Corvette of wrestling. You remember that? When he poured the concrete in the Corvette, I was like, oh my gosh, he ruined his Corvette. Like, it was the best thing ever. That's almost what it was like. Really, it was. But it was awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, it was awesome. It and was. it was awesome when Stone Cold did it too, even though I knew it was fake. Yeah. It was awesome then too. Yeah. 90s wrestling, man. Yeah, 90s wrestling. <laughs> That's where it's at. <laughs> but some of my favorite fights, I like the Diaz brothers. And me for, too. For the same reason. Yeah. They talk, but after yeah. after it's over, they're going to shake your hand. Yeah, they're real. They're real. They're not, they're not, they're not fronting anything. Like Connor is fronting some of that. Mm-hmm. When Nate Diaz is talking trash, he's for real. Yeah. Like he's from Stockton, and he's for real. Yeah. He's going to slap the crap out of you. <laughs> he's going to slap the taste out your mouth. He's for real. That's mm-hmm. real. He's, he's thug. Like, I remember when uh, the Jake Shields, Mayhem Miller brawl broke out in Strike Force. Do you remember that? Mm-mm. So, like, years ago, the Diaz brothers got in trouble for this. But years ago, see if I can remember how this went. You know who Jason Mayhem Miller is? He was the bully beatdown guy. Not sure. He, he hosted bully beatdown. He went crazy after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know yeah. who you're talking about. So, him and Jake Shields were supposed to fight. And Jake Shields had just won a fight. Jake Shields is on the same team with the Diaz brothers. Okay. And Jason Miller gets in the cage and like interrupts the interview. Is like, "Hey, buddy, where's my rematch?" It was supposed to be just like a like a like a cut like a, a promotional thing mm-hmm. to help promote their rematch. Nick and Nate jumped Jason Miller right there in the cage, and the whole team just like jumped him. It was like the end of Strike Force. It's one of those just Strike Force like they say Strike Force went under because Nick and Nate Diaz just went straight gangster mm-hmm. and just popped off and started welling on this dude. And it was this big fight in the cage. It was crazy. Yeah. Sort of like the Connor fight ended. Real similarly, but it like backed off. You couldn't see the end of it, and it, like cut. We're having technical difficulties, whatever. Yeah. But it was it was awesome. So that was a moment for me. It was like, man, these guys are not kidding. Mm-hmm. Like if you mess with their homie, they're they're gonna slap you. They're gonna <laughs> knock you out. Like they're gonna. And, and another thing, man. Those are that's another really good example of two guys who are not phenomenal athletes. They don't run fast. They don't jump high. But they're super tough. They're mentally tough. And they want to get in your mental tough. And game. yeah, and they are <laughs> in incredible shape. They don't get tired because they train like that. They train hard. They train, and they and they will. They'll take physically superior athletes and just systematically break them down with mental warfare and the fact they don't get tired. They don't get tired. They're just gonna stay in your face the whole fight. And in round one, you may beat them, but in round two, in round three, in round four, in round five, you're gonna start slowing down, and they're gonna start messing you up. That's how he got Connor. Yeah. That's exactly that's how Nate Diaz got it. Yeah, Connor got tired. Connor was a physically superior athlete. Mm-hmm. Connor got tired, and when you're tired, for those of you guys who don't know this, that's when you get knocked out. If you ever, if, you, if you've ever been so tired, you're dizzy. You're already disoriented. Yeah. You're way easier to knock out in that moment. Your button's probably getting big. Yep. So <laughs> as you, the more tired you are, the easier you are to knock out. The better shape you are, the harder you are to knock out. That's one reason nobody can knock them out because mm-hmm. they're in incredible shape. You know, anybody, not anybody, I mean, you can definitely get knocked out with one punch. It happens. I Usually. like Guida. He was always in great shape. Right. Yeah. Great and he was really hard to knock out. So when you see these guys that are like cardio machines, they never get tired. Mm-hmm. They are usually really hard to knock out as well. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason. So with December, man, they got uh, two cars lined up. Yeah. And then uh, Deontay Waters fighting Tyson Fury. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That's, uh, yeah. that's on the 8th. Yeah. 
So, I mean, there's a lot going on in fighting. I'm glad yeah. fighting is going out with a bang this yeah. year. What are, who are some of your fighters today? Or is anybody coming up on these cars that you look forward to seeing again? I, you know what? I'm going to be completely honest. I'm not a big, like, watching fights fan. Okay. Because, uh, and you'd think I would be. Um, I do like them. I, but I, I, there's very few fighters that I'm, like, a fan of. I, do, I like watching them for, like, the educational value. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't, there's, no, there's nobody that I'm, like, a, I, I like Connor. I like Khabib just from a skill standpoint. I love Khabib, watching Khabib wrestle. You know, sometimes I'll kind of get wrapped up in the hype. There's nobody that I'm really just looking to see. Yeah, dying to watch. I'll be honest with you. I get way more into the local shows because I know them. Yeah. I know these guys. Like On a local card, I may not know the amateurs that are debuting, but all the guys have been fired for a while. I know them all personally. I've trained with a there's lot of them. coming up, too. Right? And so, yeah, there's a few. You got, like I said, you got a... Got the boxing show here in January. You got two cars, Birmingham and Memphis, in, in January. Then you got Tupelo in March. So March, you've got the SFC. That's always a great show. And so I get really into those fights. And a lot of times, for whatever reason, my people are always fighting on the same nights as the UFC cards. And so I never get to watch them. Mm-hmm. You know, like football. I don't get to watch football as much either because our yeah. fights are on Saturday night. And around here, we don't do fights on in the fall because promoters don't want to compete with football. But we're still competing and we still have some fights and stuff so it kind of it kind of sucks a little bit because I don't get to watch mm-hmm. the fights like I want to yeah I got you what, what about you who are you looking forward to I might be able to chime in on your yeah so this is just I don't know if it's going to happen but they were talking about Khabib possibly fighting Tony Ferguson, Ferguson yeah Khabib will hurt him what do you think yeah Khabib will hurt him Khabib's the best in the world okay not even Ferguson would have... uh, Ferguson might hang with him Ferguson's a good grappler but Khabib's the best if Khabib is what he is... Who could get him? Nobody. Nobody right now? At 155 pounds, there's nobody. 155 pounds. I've been saying Khabib's the best in the world for four years. Three years at least. Khabib was the best in the world three years ago. And I, if you went back and asked me then, I would have told you the same thing. And I, I can say that because there's people here that will vouch for that. I've been saying Khabib was the best in the world for three years. I said the same thing with John Jones. When J- John Jones was fighting young and first came in, again. I was like, man. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to that. I, John Jones and Gustafson... I will say I'm a, I like both of those fighters a lot just from a technical standpoint. Who do you think on that? Uh, John Jones is going to mess them up. It's not. It's not going to be competitive. Okay. The only reason it was competitive the first time was I think John Jones had it in his head he was going to outbox Gustafson because John Jones likes to beat you at what you're good at, mm-hmm. like GSP used to. And Gustafson's boxing was a little bit better than John uh, John Jones was. John Jones is a different animal now. Gustafson has not looked as sharp, mm-hmm. and I think that. Uh, at 205 pounds, there's just nobody that's going to mess with John Jones. Just like at 155 pounds, there's nobody right now that's going to mess with Khabib. I don't, I don't think. Yeah. I don't see Gustafson being able to beat Jones. And I don't see Ferguson beating Khabib. I definitely, I mean, and I can't think of anybody else. Would he be else. the best in that class to try? Probably right now. Yeah, but it's not going to be competitive. I don't think. I mean, he may, he may catch him with some slick grappling. But, I mean, Khabib's just too good. I mean, he, he's he's – He's another animal, and you see that sometimes in this sport. You see guys who are just honestly another level beyond everybody else. Yeah. GSP did it. Silva did it. John Jones did it. Cormier should do it if it weren't for John Jones. Cormier is by far and away the best. That's why the 205 class is so boring right now. Nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody cares about the 205-pound class because nobody's going to beat D.C. D.C. is not going to beat John Jones. So what do you do? You move D.C. to heavyweight. It's the only thing you can do. Mm-hmm. Move D.C. to heavyweight and have him relinqu- relinquish the title. Problem with that is nobody's going to care as much about D.C. if he can't beat Jones. Mm-hmm. If he can beat Jones, it'd make his career. But you, it's hard to have two superstars that close in weight. 
and then they've already fought twice. Jones has beat him twice. He finished him. You know, it, it was DC was doing good at that point, but Jones is another animal. Yeah, man. It's, it's another. Even like UFC, I, I fell out of it for about four or five years. I, when I was coming out of high school, and when we first got into it, it was Liddell Ortiz. Oh yeah. It seemed like GSP, Matt Hughes, mm-hmm. BJ Penn. You had somebody ridiculously talented in each class yeah. that you were excited to see. Yeah. And it seemed like it, they started retiring. and You didn't have that as much. What, what there, was, there was a time where there were, a card would come up. It would be like a main card, and I would know like two of them. Right. And I was yeah. like, I'll be honest with you, it's changes. still a little bit that way to me. Like, I don't know a lot of these new guys. It, well, one of the reasons is they're putting on shows at least once a month now. A lot of times every weekend. Yeah. And you have to have a lot more fighters to fill that. It's a good thing in some ways because you're getting a lot more fighters signed. Mm-hmm. A lot more. I mean, you're seeing fighters from Mississippi get signed. Brandon Davis is in the UFC now. He lived in Starkville for a long time and trained up there. And, and I knew him from that from there um, when he trained with Jay and those guys at No Limit. Got Chase Sherman and Jason Knight, which he's down at Alan Belcher's gym now too, which is who I was telling you earlier, I'll hire for consulting. Uh, that's his gym. That's with Jason Knight and Chase Sherman and Brandon Davis. All those guys train out of his gym. Mm-hmm. Um, you get you've got multiple guys from Mississippi signed right now. You've got a couple guys from Alabama signed right now. You got Eric Anders and Walt Harris who are both signed mm-hmm. from Alabama. You used to never see people from the South signed at the UFC. Now you're seeing these fighters come up because, whatever whatever reason, Mississippi fighters are super entertaining. They're usually good strikers and they're usually bangers and they're usually got kind of mouthy. I don't know why that is, but just the ones that make it usually are. Yeah. Um, like Brandon and Jason who are both like. Super good strikers, really, you know, mm-hmm. exciting fighters, and both, you know, kind of mouthy and can, can talk a little trash. I like that. Yeah, like, I, I think I like That's it. That's why I like Nate Diaz. Right, I like it. So <laughs> I'm excited about those guys getting signed, and and so you're getting that. But yeah, like you said, you just don't know a lot of the people, and it's hard for me to get into. Yeah, if I don't know who you are. So yeah, it's kind of being able to relate to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I miss the old Liddell and Ortiz. You know, Liddell versus Couture three. Man, uh, I remember that fight happened. That was. I was super pulling for Couture, thinking he was going to pull it out, and yeah. he didn't. Um, oh, that was like when his button was the size of his face. Mm-hmm. And but like those three guys, they all went out that way. It was yeah. like you could just. Yeah, Couture, Couture did a little bit better, and I talk. We talk about this at the gym. Some you know, different fighters peak at different times based on their style. Your style depends on when you peak. When you have a when you have a speed based, like athletic based style. That depends on you being faster than everybody. You're going to peak before 40 most of the time, right before 40, 37, 38, 40. You know, Couture was a little more technical, kept his hands real high like a boxer and was more of a wrestler mm-hmm. and didn't depend on being way faster than people. So his, his career went longer, which his career went super long, you know. And I think it was 47, 48 when he retired, yeah. whereas Liddell and Silva, they sort Early of peaked 40s. around 30. Really, they dropped about 38. 39 because they both Liddell had that low lead hand that depended on him to be quick enough to get it back up to defend his head and you saw him not be able to do that against like Evans mm-hmm. a lot Silva same thing he's got, he, he drops his hands low which was actually he was it's not just to be cocky there's a there's a reason he does that I'm not going to go into it but he depended on being faster than everybody else and when your style depends on that. There's going to be a time that you're not going to be the fastest guy in the sport anymore. Mm-hmm. As you get older, there's going to be these young guys come in. They're going to be faster than you mm-hmm. at some point. It may be way later. You may have a nice long career being the fastest guy. But like Roy Jones Jr. and Anderson Silva and all these guys, it's not always going to be that way. Mm-hmm. And so you see them peak and fall a little earlier than the super technically like hand up, like traditional style guys mm-hmm. like a tour who, whose careers can last a little bit longer, mm-hmm. you know. You see that a lot. So, so that was that was one of the reasons why. But yeah, he, he just you end up taking a lot of damage in the sport, and as you do, your button gets bigger. 
then you get older and these guys are still hitting you just as hard as they were and you know you got a lot of miles on you and you've taken so much damage to the head and after a while you just start going to sleep easy you know and it's a sad thing it's a it's really sad because you know you kind of get to this point you need to retire but no fighters ever invest their money they're, they're broke you know they're living paycheck to paycheck there's no retirement plan in this sport you know there's no pension there's no 401k when it's done it's done and the other factor and that's why you see these fighters fight way after their prime is over and just they're getting a paycheck or what you'll see is and this is just a universal truth and it's it's a really sad it, i get really sad when i see this fighters want to fight Mm-hmm. It, they just it's, that's what it's they, in that's them. What they are. That's what they want to do. They don't fight. If we were, you know, some of them go and make a lot of money. But if we were in it for the money, we would, most of us would have went to college and, you know, got a good job. You know, I, I don't do this for the money. You know, my I could be helping run my dad's real estate company right now, and I'd probably be making more money. You know, I don't do this for the money, even what I do. And then fighters want to fight. They do because they love it. They want to fight. They want to get in that cage and they want to fight. Mm-hmm. That's what they want to do. And it's a really sad thing because you see these guys and they just want to fight. They want to get in there. You know, you got uh, what is it? Uh, Chuck and Tito about to fight again or something in this little I think promotion. Is coming out, yeah, yeah, it's not in the UFC, but yes. because they want to, they want to fight. It's, it's and I'll be honest with you, man. Got to get off them Dura Last commercials for a little while. Yeah, <laughs> those commercials are badass. Um, <laughs> I think they're tight, man. I don't know. Um, but yeah, what you what you see with these guys, man, is uh, is they they get to this point and they just keep fighting, and they don't know when to quit because they 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 love it. And I'm gonna be honest, there's nothing like it. Yeah. There's even at a small scale because I've never been to that level. I've never had millions of people cheering for me. I've never made all that money and been on top of the world. But I fought on local shows, mm-hmm. and there's nothing like it in the world. I mean, I played football. We we had a great football team when I was in high school. We won state twice. Mm-hmm. It was one of the highlights of my life to this point. There is absolutely nothing like getting your hand raised in that cage. I mean, it's it's a million to one to any other sport I've ever played. I mean, just like it, it just take the Trotter here in Columbus. Yeah, like that's actually a really great venue, and, honestly. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's, it's nice. Yeah, it's great and place to fight for real. Walking into the walking into the octagon or yeah. the boxing arena, whatever you're doing. Yeah. I mean, what is man? I I feel like I'd be like outside of myself watching me. Yeah, you you you've got to keep yourself calm because it's what we were talking about earlier. You know, yeah. calm under pressure. But it is the most surreal. And some people don't feel it like I do. You know, I was talking to Richie. He was like, I didn't feel that. Yeah. I did. You know, and I still do. When I, when I get in that cage, it, but it's the, most, it's the most fun thing about being a fighter. The training usually sucks. The weight cut is hell on earth. Without a question, there's nothing worse than the weight cut. It's, it's, it's probably the worst thing I've ever experienced is cutting a, lot, a large amount of weight. You literally think you're going to die. But... No, you the fight when you actually get in there, and even the tough fights, the fights where you're swapping and taking licks and giving licks, and you're both bleeding, and those are the it's the the most telling experiences to who you are as a person, and it's also the most intensely fun. And maybe fun's not the right word, but it, I, I think it's fun. I enjoy it, and it's it's the most incredible <coughs> experience that I think you can have is actually stepping into that cage. And go into war with another man who has done nothing but get ready and train to fight you for the past two months. You know, that's been his whole life is get in that cage and fight you. And that's been your whole life. And yep. he's in shape and you're in shape. And it's time and to he's ready. Out. And now we're going we're gonna to go mano y mano fisticuffs. <laughs> and we're going to see who the man is. And there's just, there's no sport that is that pure to me. You know what I mean? I mean, there's just, there's nothing more pure than that. 
That is that's what sports are. You know, you find out who the better man is, but there's nothing more. And it, losing, and this is why I had to do the mindset training to realign my perception, used to be the worst thing ever. Because when you lose an MMA fight, you didn't lose a ball game. You lost a fight yeah. in front of all your family and friends. With the team that you was right. by yourself. It was just you. That's right. And, and you know how much work you put in. That's exactly right. And I tell you what, man, the most miserable. And I've lost, like, I lost a split decision here in 2012. And to be honest with you, I don't really regret that fight. I was in what I thought was good shape at the time. I could have been in better shape, but I didn't know how to get myself in better shape at that time. And I didn't quit. I, I went in there. I gassed in the third. I was dead. I couldn't hardly hold my arms up. I took a lot of damage. Lost a split decision. Looking back on that, I, I don't really regret that fight too much. But the worst regrets I have in my life are when I went in and lost, knowing that I didn't prepare the way I should have. Mm-hmm. The, and I mean, it's something you have to deal with the rest of your life. You know, like seriously. I mean, I, I'll think back to fights, you know, six, seven years ago mm-hmm. that I lost. And I knew, and a lot of times it's because I took it on short notice or whatever, but I knew I wasn't prepared. I knew I wasn't my best. Mm-hmm. I didn't give it everything I had. I didn't, I, or I quit. I got in there and just got mentally broken. Because I'll be honest with you, I was talking earlier about I fought Eric Anders on short. I took, him, took that fight on two-day notice. He outweighed me about 30 pounds. He was a middle linebacker for University of Alabama, had a, won a national title there, mm-hmm. played against uh, Texas in 2009. I fought him in like three or four years later. As an amateur in that fight, I kind of quit. Like I was like tired of getting hit. He hit super hard, hardest I've ever been hit. Uh, you quit, and so you look back on those moments where you quit, and, and that's why. And that's as a coach, you pull from that because you you know you don't want them to have to go through that. You know you don't want them, so you push them harder than they really want to be pushed because you know that you don't want them to live with the regret that you did because you didn't weren't in good enough shape or you didn't quit. You you didn't you know perform to your best and you quit when you were in there. So. You know, you pull from that as a coach. So it was, it was a really like, it's a really great thing as a coach, but as a as a fighter, it's it's tough. Mm-hmm. It's tough to live with. I have one last question for you, man. Why relentless? You know what? I wish I had a really great answer for that. <laughs> I didn't name it. <laughs> I, I wish I had a better answer. You know, um, team blackout. There was some things that happened. I definitely don't want to go into that before I owned it, and it became relentless. As time has went on, though, the name has t- taken on way more a much more special meaning to me at the time we were a club we weren't even a business i just kept that, that name because i liked it mm-hmm. it's taken on a bigger meaning to me because all these things that we've been talking about when we talk about perseverance when we talk about mental toughness mm-hmm. when you talk about someone who can't quit because i'm not going to go with the name great athlete you know which wouldn't be a good name anyway but i'm just saying it's relentless what if, what do all those traits what's one word that embodies them relentless, relentless. Yeah. you're relentless you're aggressive you're relentless. You don't quit. You, you're, you're in the best shape. You're, you're relentless in your training. Mm-hmm. You're in the best shape you can possibly be in. You're relentless in the fight because you won't quit. You're relentless because you stay in his face or her face. So as much as I'd love to take credit for the name, I did not name Relentless. Actually, if I remember right, I think Dustin Pumphrey, who was part of the fight team at the time, was kind of helping coach, is the one who named it. Yeah. And uh, it stuck. And at the time... It didn't hold a lot of meaning to me. I didn't care if I fought under blackout or relentless or Timbuktu. I didn't care. I yeah. just wanted to fight. Yeah. But as times went on, the reason I kept it because I had a I had a, a business consultant try to talk me into changing the name. Mm-hmm. He was like, "Man, I think that relentless comes off really strong. I think that it it kind of comes off something that like kids and women are not going to want to come to. It's like a fighter gym." 
And uh, it's funny because I was like, no, nah, I'm stuck on the name. But it's one thing I don't, I'm not going to change. We can change the logo, which we did, and we like reevaluate, like changed everything. But I want to keep the name relentless because at that point it had become a lot to me. The funny thing about that is, is that same guy who tried to talk me into the name bought licensing for that name for him to open a relentless in Florida a year later. And there was another relentless in Tampa, Florida, because he, he ended up. I sold him on the name so much, and he yeah. ended up liking the name so much. It is closed now, but he uh, he actually licensed the name from me. So we had a second location open up that uh, I just licensed the name I didn't have any ownership of in Tampa, Florida. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. So, yeah, I wish I had a better story for that, but I don't. That's it. <laughs> well, that's fine, man. All right, Jake. Thanks again for uh, sitting in with me, man. And just just for uh, the listeners, what are, what are some of the ways they can connect with you on social media? Or Man, we're everywhere. Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat we're very active on. We do a lot of stuff on Snapchat. And Facebook's probably our biggest thing mm-hmm. because it reaches the largest amount of people. Find us on Facebook. Relentless MMA and Fitness in Columbus, Mississippi. Uh, you can look it up. We we put out content every single day, mm-hmm. uh, three times a day. We post things. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram, same thing. You can give us a call, 662-259-8005. You can message us. You can email us at relentlessmma one at gmail.com. That's the, it, the sort of the work email. And we'll have be in touch with you guys quickly. Even if maybe... You know, a lot of people want to think about fighting. You know, that well, I don't want to be a fighter. I don't want to do that, so I'm not gonna. Most of what we do is 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 personal development, weight loss, and uh, and just get people in shape, give people something. Yeah, to well, do. just some of the things as I've been following the Relentless page on Facebook. I mean, a lot of the videos and the things that y'all are talking about. It's it's what we talked about on the show all night. Absolutely. Yep. And it's, it. it's not so much about the fight. Right. It's yeah. It's all the things that go behind that, mm-hmm. and the and the and the development, and and if you can apply those things to your to your life, you'll be successful, you know. And I understand there's definitely people out there more successful than me, for sure. I mean, there's billionaires, and there's people in Columbus, Mississippi, a lot more successful than me, sure. for sure. But one of the ways that I've found the success that I've found, because success, success, in my opinion, is something that is unique to you. So what is success to you? So, like, for instance, I think you need to have success in every aspect of your life, not just your finances. If you look on my board up there, I have, uh, I have goals for myself, Four goals for myself that I want to finish by the end of the year, you know, and 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 so I have one that's finance, one that's fitness, one that's family, family and then one that is it's, it goes more into my work. So faith, family, fitness, and finance is my four, my four, my four core things that I that I you should focus on every single day: faith, family, fitness, and finance. I'm only 28 years old, and I've been very blessed and lucky. The the town's been great to me. The people of Columbus and Caledonia, New Hope, have been great to me. They've, you know, stuck, my members have stuck by me. But one of the reasons that I've been able to be successful is implementing the things I've learned about fighting and staying focused on those things and, and doing something that I love too. I think that's important, yeah. you know. Um, but you can find us on there. Give us a call. Give, you can text us. You can uh, email us. And we'll get them back in touch with you in any way you can. So no matter what it is your goal is. Because, you know, we're in, the, we're in the business of solving problems. We're not in the martial arts business. We're in the business if you have a problem. And we can't solve every problem. I'm not, you know, obviously, you know, there's why we have doctors and dentists and, and real estate agents. You know, everybody's got to solve a, a, a different problem. But if you have a it's child like that's getting bullied, personal or, goals. That's right, absolutely. If you have a child that's getting bullied, and you or you have a um, a child that's shy and you're afraid might get bullied, or a child that's crazy and needs discipline and learn respect, or if you have a, you know a fitness goal or whatever, that's really the the realm that we operate in. You know that, and the important thing to do too is is, is understand what you're spending your money on. I, I did a, a live video about this 
and I, I briefly mentioned it. It's going to be one of my other live videos for this week or early next week rather, talking about investing your money. So if you're in your 20s, one of the most important things that you have to do is learn to invest and not spend. Mm -hmm. Those are not the same thing. Now invest is something that gives you a return. It can be a return, but it needs to be a return in your four areas, your faith, your family, your fitness, or your finance. When I say faith, I don't necessarily mean like religion. Yeah. I mean, your, you know, it, could mean, it could mean religion, but your core value, what's important to you? Mm -hmm. Are you investing in yourself? Are you investing in your mindset? What, what are you doing every day to invest in your mindset? How often do we get burned out and tired and we don't feel like we can do anymore? Mm -hmm. Because you're not investing in your mindset. You're not getting motivated every day. So get something in your, in your ear early. You know, I listen to a lot of Zig Ziglar, Ryan Stuman. I listen to a lot of, you know, Ed Milet. I listen okay. to a lot of that stuff, you know, all the time. And I, I go to seminars. And then secondly, you need to invest in. So that's your, that's your faith. You need to invest in your fitness. That's something you're going to get a return on. You got to invest one of two things. You got to invest money. And or you got to invest your time, mm -hmm. no matter what it is, because your fitness is going to be is going to improve the only non-renewable resource in your life, the only resource you can't get more of, and that's your time and your quality of life. Mm -hmm. You can't get more time. You can't go hit the lottery and get another seventy years. You can't work really really hard at your job and live to be three hundred years old. The time on this earth is the time that you have. It's up to you to make the most of it and be the best person you can be in that time. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. So in order to do that, you have to invest in it. You have to invest in yourself. You have to invest in your fitness, mm -hmm. things that are going to improve the qu your quality of life so that if you do live to be 70 or even right now, because here's the thing, if you're 500 pounds or 300 pounds and you feel bad about yourself and you're sweating walking up a flight of stairs and you feel like a piece of crap, mm -hmm. your quality of life is not what it should be. You're not living the life. I don't, I don't care if you make $100 million a year. If you feel like a piece of crap and you're fat and out of shape, your quality of life isn't where you're supposed to be. You're never going to be happy. One hundred percent. Invest in your faith. Invest in your fa uh, your fitness. Invest in your family. Invest in time. Spend time with your kids. Either your family by choice or your family by birth. People that are related to you, or if you don't have a, a, a family of yourself, I like how you put that family by choice. Right, because not everybody's your your blood family, but some people are your family because they choose you. I was talking about my friend Joe. We've been together since mm -hmm. we were seven. I'm closer to Joe than most anybody in my extended family. Mm -hmm. Me and him go way back. I'd do anything for him. He'd do anything for me. He's my family by choice. It's important that I invest time in those people that I choose to be my family. A lot of times we cut our friends out of our life because we get busy, but you're getting busy doing things that are not investing in your future and the best thing that's going to make you happy. Mm -hmm. What's going to make you happy are your friends and your family, people that you choose to be with, mm -hmm. people that are going to help your quality of life. Faith, family, fitness, and finance. Lastly, invest your money and your time into things that are going to give you a return. A lot, if you're going to work at a nine to five and you hate your job and you're half-assing it, then you're not investing your time and your and your money and your finances. Mm -hmm. Find something that you can invest in, and 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 so what we where we fall in that is in the fitness and the quality of life area. Yeah. If you're not taking putting your money where your mouth is on that, and you're not taking the time to personally develop and get in the best shape of your life and be everything you can be, then you can't be mad when you look back at 70 years old and realize what you left on the table. Great. Mm -hmm. All right, brother. Thanks again, bro. Coming on. Yeah, man. I appreciate you having me, brother. All right. All right. Have a good one. Yeah, you too. Well, all right, guys. Thanks for hanging out. If you haven't done so already, um, find us on social media, Instagram and Facebook. You, we have pages on both of those. Connect with us. Um, subscribe, review, rate the show. Help us out there. Uh, we'd like to hear back from you. What, do you. what are you thinking? And for those in Baldwin County, Alabama... 
Sean Sutter Lawn Care. If you need some lawn care done for your grandparents or maybe for yourself, check that out. Well, all right. We are going to shut this thing down with Nathaniel Rayliff and the Night Sweats. Hey, Mama. Hey, Mama. It's me. Say you better wait, child. Long time running. Well, hey, mama, answer me. Well, baby boy, you better sit down. You can't listen when the sun's out. My only son, this will be so hard to hear. Come on, Mama, what do you mean? Yeah, I know you've been knocked down. I know it ain't all been easy. Nothing ever good really is. So why you gotta wait so long? Yeah, why you gotta wait so Long. She said, son, let me reason with you. You think you carry such a weight. I know I never beat you, boy. But you better start acting like this here. It's a race. gone far enough to say at least I tried you ain't worked hard enough to say I got mine you ain't run far enough to say my legs have failed you ain't gone far enough you ain't worked hard enough you ain't run far enough to say it ain't gonna get any better. You picked a bad time. You picked a bad time to listen to me. You picked a bad time. You picked a bad time to listen to me You picked a bad time You picked a bad time to listen to me You picked a bad time You picked a bad time to listen to You ain't gone far enough to see At least I tried You ain't worked hard enough to see Well, I got mine you ain't run far enough to say Well, my legs have failed You ain't gone far enough 
You ain't worked hard enough You ain't run far enough to say It ain't gonna get any better This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.